all gene-based vaccines, independent of manufacturers, produce the same result in the vaccinees. He has looked at 15. In the last four days, the number has been increased to 70 individuals who died after vaccination. These were people who died at home, at work, in the car, doing their sports, etc., etc., etc. There's no question now anymore about what is going on. And the answer is, in the organs of these people, in 90%, he found clear evidence for autoimmune self-attack by killer lymphocytes on the tissues. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Wednesday, November 9th, 2022. Very important show today. Follow-up on what we've been talking about for quite a long time in the independent media particularly, but the, or in general, but in on this show in particular, we have been really focusing on, and, and I don't know whether we coined the term or not, in regard to the pandemic of the injected, right? The whole pandemic of the vaccinated. I'm sure plenty of other people may, came to that same you know, juxtaposition of words in regard to the pandemic of the vaccinated there or the unvaccinated they were pushing and how we were, we've been fighting back against that from the moment that began, you know, in the beginning was just simply going, is that what's happening and looking at the data and, you know, as it's evolved to the point to where it's, I mean, I think I don't need to tell you in the audience what we all know at this point and how obvious this is about how much has been covered up how actively they tried to drag their feet to let the information that they knew would show what they were, that they were lying and knew that they knew that it would show that they were aware of these things while they were forcing it. Right. They've been trying to drag that out. So in a bunch of different ways, that stuff's being blown apart today or rather over the last couple of weeks, I, I believe it was, um, I can and Aaron Siri and, and the group that, that general group really pushing this in, 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 uh, FOIA requests to force them to release information. And an interesting development is that they've been forced to release that data because of a FOIA request due to a lawsuit, yet still haven't shown the American people. Now, what does that tell you? Why would that even be possible? If it's able to be released via legal lawsuit and FOIA request, they could release it to you too. Now, that information's coming out. Now they're trying to do their best to say, no, that's not what you think it is. What they're saying it is is not what it actually is, while still not showing you the data. Except the data is there and you can look at it on their on their dashboard they created for you. I'll go through all this today. The reality is that these injections are killing people, period. And I haven't shied away from saying that for a while now. But there was a time when you wonder, like, is that accurate? Is there there some benefit to some people? At this point, I don't think we can argue anymore that there is a benefit to anybody. Now, I'm not saying you might you can still try to make the argument that it has some kind of production on this or that or it reduces symptoms in this way. That's not even that's that's almost irrelevant entirely at this point because of how not dangerous this is, according to the current peer reviewed science, whatever we're calling Omicron or COVID-19. But on top of that, that the injections themselves are doing so much more damage, as you heard from Dr. Bhakti and plenty of other experts in addition to whatever they claim is happening the way that it's supposed to be working. And this is everywhere. 
the excess death, the baffling brain diseases, the, I mean, you name it. We could do an entire show just listing off the things they can't figure out, despite the fact that they've previously admitted that it can happen with this injection, but yet failed to ask the question when it happens. Could it be the injection? No, fake news, not possible, except it is possible because you said that. But who cares? It's just, it's infuriating, but at the same time, you're winning, and I want you guys to understand that. I don't mean, it shouldn't be looked at as a win-loss, kind of a, you know, that's ultimately how they want this to be perceived. It is essentially to a degree, but realize that it's just that you are succeeding in informing people about what's really going on by being a part of this chat, by continuing to fight for this information. Because again, yes, exactly. As somebody, SIDS and SADS and everything, somebody listening to the chat, all these different things, as I've hopefully helped people see, are just catch-alls for completely unexplainable death. Why would we even need more than one catch-all for unexplainable death? That in and of itself shows you how obviously this is being manipulated. Now, we're going to go through this today in regard to the pandemic of the injected, which is sort of the overarching point, but how the CDC data that was revealed via the FOIA request is destroying their narrative on top of, I mean, the point is it's been destroyed. That's kind of what I was getting at is this stuff has long since been shown to be not even remotely what they said it was, that we have been accurate in the information we've been discussing and the questions we've been asking were allow, I mean, always allowable questions, but that they were correct in the right direction, questions and in inquiry and so on. But that now this is just one more aspect on top of that that is proving, not just adding to the data, but in my opinion, this has been proven across the board to be dangerous for everybody, for anybody in any position across the board. That's the important part. But on top of that, we're going to get into more about myocarditis itself and, and what we're seeing. And the main point about how COVID does not cause, again, the caveat around that entire gigantic just question, you know, the conversation of what COVID flu, pneumonia, not there at all. The point being that the peer-reviewed science being done through the mainstream is saying COVID doesn't cause myocarditis. Now, I've already been showing you this all the way back in June. I showed you the peer-reviewed study. We'll go over again today that said not a single correlation. There's no connection between these COVID-19 and myocarditis or pericarditis. But now there's new research coming out of Israel that Dr. Peter McColl is pointing at and plenty of others are calling out, which is great. More and more is coming out showing you the reality. But again, just to demonstrate our value, this is something you would have known back in June had you been watching this show. And, and we'll go through this today again, but we're also going to finish it with the great reset. And I want to keep doing this to show you where all this stuff is leading, in my opinion, you know, how this translates into the climate change conversation or how it translates into the meat and food and energy translate discussions and how those then transit transit. Um, why can't I speak today? Those then transition into the CBDCs central you know central bank digital currencies the digital id and how that drives you into where we're ultimately going and i think it's important not to miss how all of this does interconnect it doesn't mean that it's going to happen that way but it's important to think about but importantly in addition to some lies that you're being told and the rsv point as well we'll get into but let's start off today with a quick shout out to another point from Substack that Scott is doing an absolutely outstanding job on here. Really just can't sing the praises enough for how great, how well he's doing on, on the Substack and in general, his work. I hope you will check out rebunk.news on top of everything else, which in case you missed it is now part of the last American vagabond. And I'm honored to have him on the team. He says, I will be hosting the first monthly T lab roundtable discussion Intel exchange this coming Saturday at two uh, PM Eastern. Now, this will be him hosting this, and the point is that we'll be doing one, uh, two a month, I guess, is the idea, where it'll be him doing one, and then both of us doing one. Uh, you know, I'll be doing one, essentially, one a month. He'll be doing two. And the idea being that we'll be sitting down and having a round table, and anybody involved is welcome to join and, and be there at the round table and discuss, and this will be a private thing, only for those that are su supporting the Substack, essentially. 
And oh, and by the way, for those, there's plenty of you that that, that we want to. I, I, actually, I'm, I'm not even going to say that. I take it back. <laughs> I was going to say something that was going to open the floodgates to a lot of people that I would have had to do. Anyway, the and please support the Substack in general because it is is helping support the Last American Vagabond. But make sure you check this out. Make sure you check out the whole scenario and how to support it through Substack and how this works and and the benefits therein. Now, as always, don't forget the content is free. Unless you choose to subscribe for payment, that's the whole point is we're, you know, minimizing in general any, I mean, really the only paywall that even exists at the moment is the Rockfin special, which then later gets put out as a podcast a day, two days later. So it's technically not, but in that moment it is. I, and I, I frankly don't like that, to be honest, but it is helping the last American Vagabond. So that's the point, but continue to support these things. Scott's doing a great job here. Check it out for yourself. There was a post that went out today, which we'll get into in a minute about the myocarditis discussion. Oh, oh, here, well, here it is, actually. And uh, this, I think this was just so I can show you the substack, but we'll get into this article when we get into the myocarditis segment today. Here is where I want to start. Right, in, right into it today. No, no preamble other than that in, in, in how important all this stuff is. Now, this one is a preprint for those in the podcast. The other one's not, or the others that we'll get into today are not. But this one is, but doesn't mean it should be ignored. Of course, it's funny how the ones when they wave preprints in front of you, it's never mentioned and it's never a reason to dismiss it. But when it's something in the reverse, it's, oh, it's a preprint, you stupid conspiracy theorist. Right. It's, it's, it's all science and you should be considering it. And these days questioning it, hopefully, like you would everything else coming. I mean, if we can now prove that the Lancet actively knowingly manipulated scientific research and and presenting it so it would art you know with the lab conversation with with heart attacks with pregnancy i mean this is coming out everywhere now that these high level groups are in some ways have manipulated or or suppressed or obfuscated information just question it guys doesn't mean everything science is now bad that's the that's the inverse of the problem right it's not one or the other it's just question question everything it's on you as an individual to be intelligent enough to show discernment and realize that just because trump said it or biden said it or whatever else you should still question it because it simply could just be that they're wrong right even if you think you can blindly trust them which i hope you're seeing is a dumb thing to think they could just be wrong somebody could have misinformed them in this case these scientists could just be wrong they could be lying a thousand possibilities be skeptical Increasing SARS-CoV-2 cases, hospitalizations, and deaths among the vaccinated populations during specifically B1 Omicron, B11529 to be specific, surge in UK. Now, the headline alone is pretty clear. But of course, when they get into the argument, it, there's there's always an, an you know a, a, a justification for, well, there's more of the population and there's valid there's valid there are valid points that could be made about how there are more people in certain populations. And that's fair. You should be able to ask that. But when you get into the data, you can see quite clearly that this is pretty unequivocal. What it really does show you about the, 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 the lack of protection for the people that claim they're super protected by the magical juice they put in their body. That's killing them on top of that, that ultimately the people who are unvaccinated are faring exponentially better. I think that I say that first. Well, in any case, <laughs> we observed negative vaccine effectiveness for the third dose since December 20, 2021. Negative. Now, just to be clear, this is what they keep trying to hide and dance away from. That is, no, it's an anomaly in the research and so on. That's the point where we keep showing you, but since, uh, since I'm referencing it, I'll bring it up, the 75% negative efficacy that came out for the first time in one of these studies. I often, I just it's easy to pull up his tweet. That's why it's easy to grab here. And shout out to him. It's where I saw it first from Ezra. So here's the study itself, but here's the actual link. Or image, excuse me, and you can see that this was the first time this came out. Their own research. This was the, the, the mainstream corporate research, put it that way. I'm on Pfizer, Moderna, and it very clearly found after three months, 
Omicron timeframe were during Delta, that Pfizer had a negative 76% efficacy, meaning you had a 76% increased risk of getting sick. In this case, I, I believe we're talking about specifically Omicron, right? But it was shown later than general. As, and on top of that, the first week, according to Pfizer's own research, you had a 50% increased risk of infection in general. This is 76% increased risk of getting Omicron. The thing it's supposed to protect you from, it gives you a 76% increased chance of getting it. Just because like, and apparently that's worth it for a 55% relative risk reduction in the first day. And then by the 30 days, it's 16% relative. These are like 0.08% in, in, in absolute risk reduction. It's meaningless. The reality being that you have a gigantically increased risk after the fact. That's not worth it. Same with Moderna. It's 39%. Now, that, that's not even getting into all the side effects. This is just in regard to what they say it's supposed to do. Now, the point here is that that is what they're talking about. Now, there's been three other studies that have come out and, and confirmed, yes, there is negative efficacy. Your body is being destroyed by these things. And again, that's not the vaccine not working. That is your immune system collapsing after this thing does what it does. Now, it says with a, this, just again, negative vaccine effectiveness were the third dose. With a significantly increased proportion of SARS-CoV-2 cases, hospitalizations, and deaths among the vaccinated. A significantly increased proportion. Right. So if they want to pretend, oh, well, it's because 75 percent of people are vaccinated, whatever. Well, that was the case last month. <laughs> Why wasn't it that way last month? Why suddenly? Well, and I'm saying last month just for you make it easy to understand. This came out September 19th. So arguably it would be, you know, the beginning of September or rather just to say October. Why wasn't it like that in October? Maybe it was. They weren't talking about it. However you look at it, the point is it doesn't just suddenly happen where you have a dramatic increased proportion of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths among just the people vaccinated and then wait for it and a decreased proportion of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths among the unvaccinated. There's literally no way to misunderstand that. People who are uninjected, and I mean with zero things in their body, have a a rapidly decreased proportion of the things that were happening before. Now that's of the pre-existing percentages, right? So the 25, again, just to make it easy to understand, let's just pretend it was 75% vaccinated, 25% unvaccinated, zero injections versus people that have something in their body, right? That means that that 25% in this next month had a decreased proportion of all those things. Not just that the percentage shifted, which is what they'll try to frame it as. Right. The 75 percent that were vaccinated had a dramatically increased risk of all those things from one month to the next. There is no way to misunderstand this, which sneaking suspicion is probably why this won't be peer reviewed unless it goes through places like I, uh, IPAC. And, you know, what I argue are is real peer review today. The bottom line is, if you're injected, you're dramatically and this is what we keep pointing out, that this is only going to compound. People are going to continue to get sick and sick and sick and sick and sicker and sicker if they keep getting more shots. And some of them, unfortunately, whether they do or not, that's just the sad reality because this stuff is dangerous. But most of them are, as people like Bhakti would argue, if you just stop now, you might end up being, you know, maybe it won't hurt you. Maybe it will. The point is the best thing you can do is stop doing it now. If you've got injections, you're increasing your illness. If you don't, you're getting less and less and less. I mean, I, you just can't deny this. The pre-existing conditions were present in 95.6% of all COVID-19 deaths. So all of that aside, just an extra little tidbit, everybody who did die, or rather 95.6% of everybody that died had multiple pre-existing conditions, which has been a constant since the beginning of this illusion, which, by the way, is one that I tend to forget. We mentioned the PCR 
false positives, the flu and pneumonia combination, the hospital beds and the, the nursing homes and like everything under the sun that was used to dramatically make this look worse. The lies about the death rate, everything. But on top of that, remember that they even admitted really early that like 96 percent of people that were dying at that time had like two point five comorbidities or whatever the CDC statistic was at the time. Which And then we find out that they altered how they wrote those down. Don't forget, remember, where the, the underlying cause of death, if it was COVID, was turned around and made, the, or made them primary. All of these things led to this massive illusion that we're all beginning to see that if you were in the independent media sphere, you probably already saw. But that is pretty compelling, is it not? Now here. Oh, excuse me. This was the study from this tweet. I'll just include this tweet so you guys can do that here. Is I just I went to the Wayback Machine because it's behind a paywall now, which is interesting. But here's an article from Reuters of all people. And you will actually be surprised, maybe like I was, of the way that they covered this. Now, I still argue it's not as honest as it should be, as if you were pretending any corporate media is honest at all. But they do actually take a step into this and kind of go, well, is this dangerous? I just I actually couldn't believe it. This is our October 12th. So it's last month. New data is out on COVID vaccine injury claims. What's to make of it? Now, what's interesting is, remember, this is October 12th, so this data that they were forced to release via FOIA request has been out since then, and it took, and, and I don't know how quickly it took uh, ICANN to make this dashboard I'll show you next. I'm only just seeing this. There's so much going on. You know, just somebody just put it in front of me, and I said, oh, that's important, you know, so now we're talking about it. But realize what didn't happen between October 12th and November 9th, that the CDC didn't put it out for everybody else. So it's out there, and they're going, they're lying about it, but not showing you the data. Think about how stupid that is. This is the same thing the U.S. government does around the world, right? Russia stands up and says, look at this proof and this evidence and whatever else. And you should question it because they could be lying. But then the U.S. steps up and goes, no, that's a fake thing and they're lying. And we can't show you our evidence, which is plentiful because national security. And you go, oh, really? Okay, well, that's convenient. And then you can find out throughout the years. You look back and go, guess what? They never even had anything. They just made that up and you can prove it today. But trust them now because they're being honest today. It's the same stuff. Now, maybe... They'll show it and maybe there'll be something different. But what's the time frame here? What's the gap? Why are they waiting? What's happening behind the scenes during that time? There's only one real thing that makes sense, isn't it? Or, do, or makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> that they're altering something. That they're trying to find a way to make this look different. Don't forget, Israel's government, or rather medical uh, ministry of health, was caught on the record on a Zoom call saying we need to hide these things because we're going to be sued. How do the people in the mainstream not make sense of that? What are they lying about that? It was a, they didn't know they were being recorded or that it was going to go public. So what was that? Right? You just there's so many pieces of this narrative that prove that what we're saying is true, that we're being lied to, and they're trying to cover it up. At the very least, for those that don't want to believe it was a massive conspiracy, just realize that these are people that could go to prison for what happened. So maybe it's just that they actually thought they were doing right by you, and now they're trying to cover up that they realize that they did wrong. I don't buy that. But if, if that makes it easier for you to digest, then fine. Either way, they're lying. You're being caught for it. And the, con- uh, the entire corporate media, corp- government, they're all making sure this does not come out. It's, it's about as transparent as I think it can be. This says the agency in court papers said, this is the CDC, that on or before September 30th, it would post on its website a public use set of data from about 10 million people who signed up for its vSafe program a smartphone-based system that periodically sends people text messages and web surveys to monitor potential side effects from the Pfizer, Moderna, and J&J injections. Now ask yourself this, why would they even go through that process? 
when right now they're looking at theirs and going, it's, it's unverified. So we're not even going to talk about it. Well, okay. So this is even farther removed if you think about it like that. So now Vayers is something that is through the doctors for the most part, but anybody could set up, you could reach out and do it if they wanted to of their own accord. But now you're, now you're talking about a phone call saying, here's a, here's a, a survey, fill it out and send it back. I mean, that's, e- that's even less verifiable ultimately because they could be lying, right? But so could the other side of it. But so why, my point, I guess, is why would they even go through this process if they're so quickly dismissing theirs? I mean, it just doesn't really make sense. Either they both have value or they're doing both of these so they can catch all of the information there and dismiss it as if it doesn't matter. I mean, there's obviously a contradiction there, don't you think? But on top of all of that, the point is this data, you have to argue, could be wrong, right? First of all, they could be lying, which is always possible, but that's always been the possibility. They just suddenly shifted the narrative during COVID. As I always point out, Dr. Rain from the UK back in 2006 made it very clear on the record with The Guardian. These systems, VAERS, yellow card alike, are just signals. They're safety signal systems. And we don't need to prove anything. As long as the signal is high enough, we need to stop it. That's what they said back then. Suddenly, that's just fake news today. Shocking, I know. It's contradictory. But on top of that, it's also that they could just be wrong, right? This could be something that they thought was related to the vaccine. And maybe it was just something else. And they don't know that. And reported it because they thought it was the vaccine. All that's possible. But all of that included, you still can't miss what this shows you. And also that they're going out of their way to not release it. If it was that simple, it would already be out there for you. But it says, but the CDC missed its deadline, which is the point, right? September 30th, they just didn't do it. It says a spokesperson cited a delay in the technical administrative processes. <laughs> right, except you already released the data, so that's not true. Necessary to post on the agency's website. See, that's what it is. They're, they're pl- Wait, you don't have a webmaster? Right. Who's who's running the website? Are we really going to pretend like it's that difficult to post this data? I can't already did it. They made an entire dashboard. I'll show you next. It's already completely organized. But somehow the CDC with infinite resources can't make this happen. Give me a break. But said it hopes to have the information up by late November or early December. My God, the group that asked for 75 years to release the data. is Yeah, we're going to drag this out for two more months to what? Post the data on your website. Now, maybe for those that don't run websites or understand these things, they may not understand that that's ridiculous. Now, of course, there are processes that you have to go through, especially to set up things like I'll show you next. But again, if ICANN can get this data in a, in a period of time between September and now and make a dashboard post and have it publicly available, and yet you know, as a matter of fact, the CDC had this long before they gave it to ICANN and they still don't have it public, they're lying to you. It's as simple as that. In the meantime, the CDC handed over the vSafe data minus personal identifying information to the plaintiff in the FOIA case. The Informed Consent Action Network, or ICANN, a Texas-based nonprofit that says it's opposing medical coercion in favor of individual healthcare choices. So, I guess the one argument could be the, well, I mean, I, see, I, I'm going to take that back. I was going to say maybe the personal identifying stuff, but isn't the whole point that you don't want to reveal per- people's personal information? So, if you already remove the personal identifying information, then what's the holdup here? Going forward, it says, I can crunch the numbers on its own. Right. Well, apparently the CDC can't do as fast as I can, as I can't have more resources than CDC. And ICANN came up with some statistics that it says its lawyer says appears to be alarming. According to ICANN, 7.7% of the vSafe users, 782,913 people, reported seeking medical attention via telehealth appointment, urgent care, emergency room, medical attention or hospitalization following a COVID vaccine. So just that alone, which I guarantee, these systems, remember, historically, 
and roundly, no matter where you look, U.S., U.K., undershoot the point. The U.S. and Harvard said it was one to one to some one to two percent. I think is the general the amount you get. The U.K. put it at about ten percent. Either way, this is a not the full picture. You can almost guarantee it's going to be one to ten times more, or it would be ten to a hundred times more. I guess right, hundred times whatever, multiple times more than what we're talking about here. That's just a fact. But seven point seven percent, even if that's the full number, that's shocking, right? 7% of people, that's way more than we're talking about any conversation in the past or any issue. If you have a disease that kills, that, if you have a disease that puts 7% of the population in the hospital, that's a huge deal. But you're now giving people injections multiple times that does this right now, and that's not even the full number. Just the hospital we're talking about. That doesn't even count the death possibility. But then, of course, let's go right back to the study that just came out and realize that they're telling you right now that their, neg- their vaccine of effectiveness is negative and that more people are there. The proportion of people who are getting hospitalized, dying and getting cases in general in the vaccinated population are dramatically increasing and the reverse is happening for those that aren't got injected with anything. So that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? About 25% of those same VSAFE users said that they experienced symptoms that required them to miss school or work, or prevented them from doing other normal activities, which, by the way, I I still don't know why that makes sense to anybody. That seems like a problem. I would never want to take something like that, even if that was the only thing that happened. That's not how that's supposed to work, in my opinion. I know we're we're engineered to think the way they want us to think about, you know, your body's inflamed. That means it's working. I don't don't feel that way. Now, call me on... I'm not a scientist or doctor, but the bottom line is that's what I understand about how the body works. That's usually an indication that your body's fighting something off. But regardless... The point is, 25% of them experience symptoms that they would argue are normal. Ah, well, they, you're going to miss school or whatever else. But I just want us to think about the fact that that's a huge number of people. Now, just think about like jobs and stuff and, and normal processes in the world. 25% of the workforce getting sick potentially for weeks, which is what happened. That's a big deal in and of itself. But going forward, they have a dashboard that summarizes all of this. There's no way, however, Reuters writes, based on the information collected, to determine whether the COVID vaccines actually cause the illness, which is fair. That doesn't mean you should dismiss it, though, because that's ultimately what happens when they simply go, well, we don't know for sure. And then we they just never look at it again. That is a that is willful ignorance. That's that's the argument is they may be killing everybody, but we just not going to look into it because we don't want to know. That's willful ignorance. That's childish. That's not what it says right there, but that is what they're doing. They continue to dismiss VAERS. It's just mind-blowing. ICANN's analysis included responses reported beyond the first seven days post-vaccine, and it counted all reports of people seeking medical attention up to a year after receiving the shot. What an interesting point there. So what they're saying is, well, here's it's like a caveat. Well, they, they included responses reported beyond the first seven days. So they may not even be resociated. But wait a minute. Aren't you the ones telling us that things that happen within that first week and sometimes 14 days are considered unvaccinated? So what happens there, right? If you're acting like the first week or if you report things that happen after that first week, that it's too far removed to be counted as the vaccine, yet things that happen in the first two weeks are considered unvaccinated. Well, look at that. It's a perfect catch-all. Everything doesn't count against the vaccinated. That's called a game. You're being tricked. It's an illusion. The very simple, the simple reality of pretending like things that happen within the first 14 days after taking an experimental medical genetic altering. I mean, these things are being covered up. 14 days of reaction, at the very least, could be associated with the thing you just took, obviously. 
but they just keep kicking that stuff down. That's what happens. And that's where most of the problems are happening. When the body's never been introduced to it before, and you introduce the first shot and that first 14 days, that is when the majority, upwards of 80 to 90% of the cases, hospitalizations, and death are happening in that first shot period, right in that first 14 days. And it all becomes unvaccinated according to Alberta, to New South Wales, to Scotland, to UK, all the same things. And it varies between seven to 14 days. It's crazy. It's mind-blowing. Actually, no, I take it back. It's 14 to 21 days is what I meant to say. So here they are saying that one of the reasons we shouldn't trust this is because, well, they're counting things past seven days. I mean, I just don't even know how they can make that argument, how it can be excluded on both sides, essentially. That's you're being gamed. But it also reports people getting sick after a year. But that's also what people like even Fauci said. Remember that, you know, sometimes it can be a year down the line. And then what have you done? You ruined everything. That was about HIV. Why don't these things matter now? Because these people are just trying to sell you a narrative, I would argue. But it goes on to say, ICANN did not specify whether the vaccination they received, the they received the care, nor did the data indicate what the care was for. I asked a CDC spokesperson what the agency made of the ICANN calculations. Are the numbers accurate? Well, here's what they said. The CDC, quote, cannot comment on analyses conducted outside the agency that we have not seen. Except you have seen it. You literally sent them the data. And then pretending like they just don't see it. Can you not look at it? Like, this is just a willful way, a way to be like, well, it doesn't even count for us because we're not, it's not, we don't care, essentially. The spokesman said this via email and added that the vSafe data have shown, here's what they say. The vSafe data have shown low rates of medical care after vaccination, particularly hospitalization. Okay, good. So they take the data you send to them. They simply break it down into a, a, a dashboard, which I'll show you next, and they present it. And they, and they, which shows you the exact opposite of what they just said. And their only response is to say the opposite. They just say the opposite. Don't prove it. Reuters should have been, they said this with nothing to back it up, but of course not. The V-safe data has shown low rates of everything they just said. The opposite then. Got it. So how do you explain their data then? This is probably why they're dragging their feet and hoping that some gigantic event happens to where when they finally put it out, they'll hope most people don't connect the dots to where they go, wait a minute, that data proves what they said back then. And then they lied about it right there. <laughs> That's how this keeps going. In the first week after getting the shot, the spokesperson continued, reports of seeking any medical care range from 1% to 3%. Again, just stating what they want the narrative to be without any proof or evidence to back it up. Meanwhile, you've got ICANN that can literally prove the data that they got sent is what they have on the dashboard. It's as simple as that. You can look at it for yourself. You can see the, the material that, they, that was sent, the information they broke down, and how it's put into the dashboard. There's no confusing this. So this is just a blatant lie. She pointed me to a report looking at the first six months of the vSafe data to back up the assertion. And there's your point. So why would we only use the very first six months? That's a, this is the game they've been playing from the beginning. That's why Walensky goes, it's the pandemic of the unvaccinated and only points to a time frame where most people had nothing in their body. Even though you were sitting at a time when you had six months worth of data where people had multiple shots. That is a willful choice to hide what's going on. And so too are they doing here. This, this, this Reuters writer should have been like, and then I laugh at them because that's ridiculous because six months of data during a time frame when they've got more than that is simply gaining the system. But no, of course not. In addition, another CDC spokesperson said the agency personnel made follow-up calls to any garbage, nonsense. Six months is limited and not the full picture. And that is a game. And you know that. 
But I can counsel Aaron Siri of C, uh, who led the FOIA litigation against the agency said that because some vaccine related adverse effects, chronic arthritis, thrombocytopenia, Guillain-Barre syndrome, myocarditis, and more can appear weeks after vaccination. And that's been proven, peer-reviewed science and so on. But but CDC, you know, trust the science crowd, can't factor that in. They're still acting like after a week, it doesn't matter, except that everything happens within 14 to 21 days, becomes unvaccinated. Perfect little catch-all to make nothing mean anything or whatever they want it to mean. It can mean all unvaccinated or it can mean nothing happened at all. It's important to broaden the time frame behind the one-week window in research the CDC cited. It's important to broaden the time frame beyond the one-week window. That's the point. And that's all Aaron Sear. They're going, look, guys, you're choosing arbitrarily to cite this one-week window, despite the fact that 14 to 21 days of information get counted downward. This is a game. A Pfizer media representative in the email said that the company's vaccine has a favorable safety profile and high level of protection against COVID-19 disease hospitalization. Cool. Can I just say whatever I want to? Do they need to back it up? Of course not. We'll just ask them and we'll write down what they say with no pushback whatsoever. You can't just keep saying safe and effective. So they cite the data and you go, no, that's not true. That's a safe thing. And they go, okay, well, fact check. They said it was safe. So they're lying despite the data and evidence and everything else. You're going to take a statement from a, a corrupt company that's been caught lying more times than I can count over provable data just because the CDC says, well, we can't verify that except you can prove it based on the documents. But Reuters can't manage to do their own due diligence, apparently. You just trust one statement over the other. That's apparently how this works today. Representatives from Moderna and Johnson & Johnson just didn't respond for comment. Great transparency. Now, finishes by saying, in addition to the dashboard summary, ICANN on its website has made the underlying data set available for public download. Yeah. And then guess what it says next? These great investigative journalists who are trying to break down and suss out the truth they say, well, Reuters didn't independently verify ICANN's analysis of the information. So what is your job then? To just write words down and just cite what other people say? Aren't you supposed to be a journalist that's investigating and trying to find the truth for the reader? I mean, is this not essentially a fact check? I mean, God, I mean, I'm the only one completely baffled by that. Why? I mean, we should, everybody should be laughing at these people. Your job is to figure out the truth. And all you ultimately say, I just lost my spot. Where was that? Sorry to derail here. <laughs> it's weird. Oh, right here. It's weird. I missed. I... So the bottom line is that they just didn't even look at it. it the the data is available. It's right there on the website. We'll look at it next. All there. And as the point, even they point out that they've actually made sure that the underlying data that came directly from the CDC, you can compare for yourself. So you didn't need to go all through all this garbage and nonsense. Reuters, if they wanted to, could have looked at it, could have gotten one of their medical reporters and said, what do you think? Does it add up? And they could have been like, yes, it does. CDC lied. Breaking story. It would have been huge news. But of course not, because that's not what they're here for. They're here to toe a line, at the very least, cause, you know, cloud the issue. Because you could verify it for yourself right now, and so too could they. They just apparently didn't want to. Siri... Aaron Siri, a 2004 University of California Berkeley School of Law grad who got his start at Latham and Watkins, is no stranger to FOIA fights. Last year, he sued the FDA, right? Remember, this is important. Aaron Siri deserves your respect for a lot of the stuff they brought to, brought to light. He was the one that sued the, the, FOIA, uh, the uh, FDA in order to make that data public. The, 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 license da the data that was relied on to license Pfizer and Biotech's 
emergency authorized injection. Now, the agency unsuccessfully argued that it needed 76 years to review and release that data. I mean, that is actually what they argued. Like, this is cartoonish. This is my point about any number of aspects you look at this. Are we really pretending like anybody took it seriously that they needed 76 years to go through that data? Really? I mean, that is a joke. That's an insult to your intelligence. And so they and they've actually argued in court and won that they weren't allowed to do that. They did this. So it would take that long for it to come out and they would never be able to piece it together. You know how much can happen over the process of just a few months in this country? 76 years. And this is why they're trying to hide from it now, because they it's being revealed. And that's what this data is showing. That's what this article is talking about. Or, I mean, the CDC data, but it's the same argument. For concerned members of the public wondering about vaccine safety, it's hard to know what to think. That's really interesting right there. This is what my point was in the beginning. You wouldn't expect that. Usually the article is to come around and say, well, that you know, it's been proven to be safe and effective. And millions of people have gotten the injection. And it's been proven to be safe over and over and over. Subjective points, but still pushing the idea that they we're supposed to think that it's working and safe. There's no reason not to think that. But instead, this art, this writer... Probably why it's now behind a paywall says, well, for, we're, it's hard to know what to think, meaning that there is some level of credence to what they're saying. We know that. But from the mainstream perspective, that's a big shift. The CDC, she says, which should be the gold standard for accurate information, still hasn't made the V-safe data public. So she's seeing it at least, although it seems to have fulfilled a FOIA obligation by giving it to ICANN. So then that's the point we just made. So how is it possible they're able to give it to ICANN, who can then translate it, publish it, post all the information, and yet they still haven't made it public? Even the Reuters journalists can see this. And they're, and they're writing it down. Is this a shift in the, in the narrative? That's, I don't know. But the point is, this alone would have been unallowable in the beginning. Look, she says, I believe vaccines save lives. And this is how she, they have to write this, right? And she probably does believe this. But the point is, there's no need for that statement in here. Because we're just breaking down the data. The point should be, well, we don't know. We're left up in the air. But they have to do this. Otherwise, you'll get canceled today, right? Look, I believe vaccines save lives, and I eagerly received my shots. I got them. Did you? I got them. <laughs> I have no interest in being an anti-vax mouthpiece. <laughs> People are ridiculous. <laughs> but I also believe in maximum government transparency, right? So at the very least, Reuters is going, CDC is hiding something, or there's no, we need to understand why they're not releasing what they're supposed to. It indicates that at a minimum, Hundreds of thousands of people experienced health events that they considered severe following the shot and sought medical care. Like that enough. That's the safety signal system. This should have been stopped a long time ago. Moreover, for those still struggling to recover and believe the vaccine is to blame, legal recourse is limited. I completely agree with that. It's basically impossible. Check this out. The COVID-19 vaccine makers are indemnified by the government, which we know, and all injury claims are adjudicated by an obscure tribunal. I mean, this is what Reuters is writing. The Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program. Payouts are limited to unreimbursed medical expenses and up to $50,000 a year in lost wages, which is nothing for some of these people that have been, you know, their entire life has been destroyed. If I, then it goes on to say, as of September 1st, the forum has received 7,084 claims alleging injuries or death from the COVID vaccines. Can you guess what's happened in all this time? The whole time period. By the way, 7,084, I don't even know how that's all it is, but even though that's all they've got, three claims, three have been deemed eligible for compensation and 42 have been rejected. 42. So they've only even dealt with 45. This is the whole time. Of 7,084 claims of death and injury from the injection, they've only even engaged with 45 of them. On three of those, they've given compensation. 42 been rejected. 
The rest apparently apparently just waiting still. My God. That's what the resources go to. Their resources go to obfuscating and lying to you and covering up what's happening. That's what it seems. A spokesperson told me the compensation program is, quote, actively bringing on additional administrative staff and claim reviewers to process these claims as quickly as possible. You know what that just told you? That we're getting so many claims of injury and death that we don't have enough staff to cover it and we have to bring on more people. That's what that just said. That's what's happening. Or at the very least, that's what they have to say to not allow these things to be seen or discussed or approved for compensation. <laughs> My God. This is just crazy how clear this is and how quickly this is changing. Now, here is the ICANN vSafe data dashboard. Now, I'll just read you what they say here and show you the dashboard next. These data are limited to the around 10 million vSafe users. This data are limited to only pre-populated fields checked by vSafe users. So, you know, it just limits essentially. So that my, though I would argue that means it's much bigger than it appears to be. The information captured in freeform fields has not yet been produced, and ICANN is still litigating to obtain that information. So it's, all, I might, it's a foregone conclusion, in my opinion, that's much larger than it seems. But here's the data. And again, I'm not going to go through it. Why, you, know, you can go through this yourself, and, and this is just the access page, but you can see where the information is linked to. But you can go through this page in general, and you can download all the information. You can check it for yourself. This is just a really hand. Oh, it's all, it's all right here. Zip files, everything. But this graph is really convenient to show you what's going on. I mean, for the, I apologize for the podcast for this. You won't be able to see it in the moment. But uh, the links are all in the show notes. Will be so you can check it out. But for those seeing this, I mean, look at how wild this is. This is right now. I have checked. Multi, only requires medical care. You can put in there unstable activities, missed work, and so on. I just put in required medical care because that's what we're talking about, right? And then I put in um, Pfizer and Moderna alone, and we'll do all of them in a second. And then all sexes, all age groups. So far. 0.7 million, 700,000 people, that's what we were just talking about, have been have had to go to the hospital, required medical care after these injections. And that's not enough to shut this down? Now, yes, yeah, some of them could be other things, but if they don't know, then that means it could be, and they don't care. Some of the interesting things to pick out of here, which is interesting, is, you know, they keep trying to make one or the other look worse, but now, you know, it's pretty cut. The mRNA injections are the problem. That's what Dr. Bakhti said in the beginning, as you heard, and I think that's the reality. It's pretty even for the most part, slightly slanted toward Pfizer, which is what I've been saying from the beginning. But then over here, you got 715,000 individuals impacted. 1.9 million health impacts reported. Down here, which is really interesting, check this out. I don't want this move now. Here we go. Look at the number breakdown for, for just race, first of all. Aren't we, aren't we constantly being told that that? African-Americans have been adversely affected by this or that in every possible category, not getting enough injections over, uh, you know, hurt more by the COVID-19 disease or whatever else. Right. Well, look at this gigantically on the white category over. I mean, exponentially. I mean, what is that like 10, 15 times more than any other category? And then even that it's like 75 percent of that white category is all female. Just very strange. Right. I mean, I, there's who knows what the the bottom line is. It shows you the breakdown of this is not being represented on what you're being shown in the corporate media. It's just not. Now here, I'll just, just for sake of conversation, let's add uh, just J&J, let's, whatever, let's just do all of them, see what it says. Then you can see that, I mean, look at that, it goes up just to 0.8, <laughs> that's it. So Moderna and Pfizer are 95, 3-4% of the entire conversation. I mean, just look at the circle breakdown right there. And we're pretending like J&J, &J, and, and ask yourself why J&J &J and AstraZeneca were the first ones to be put down. Really? I mean, the obvious, oh, I mean, I guess the one point you could argue is they've used those more. That's fair. But I've always maintained that it's about the mRNA platform. 
at all costs, at all costs. But this is important and powerful, and that's why they don't want people to see it. Now, here on top of that is a is a uh, breakdown from Dr. Robert Malone, and this is uh, reporting about what uh, Dr. Thorpe, a board-certified uh, obstet- obstet- obstetrician and gynecologist and maternal fetal medicine physician said. And it's, it's powerful. I'm going to read through some of it for you right now. And the title is Board-Certified Obstetrician. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why it's hard for me to say. Stop. Uh, cries, stop. Basically saying... We need to stop this entire thing. And that's what everybody continue is, is getting to. Dr. Maholtra, Dr. Malone, and there was differences, remember, in the beginning. Even Dr. Malone was arguing in the beginning, well, there's some uses. They're not anymore. It doesn't seem that way anymore. I haven't kept up on their day-to-day opinions, but it ultimately seems that most people in these positions are saying that these are bad, dangerous. No matter what minor benefit you may think there is, there it's wildly outweighed by all of the side effects that are literally killing people right now. Here's what it says. Dr. Thorpe, who was the board-certified obstetrician, gynecologist, and maternal fetal medicine physician with over 43 years of experience, while serving as a very busy clinician his entire career, has also been very active in clinical research with about 200 publications. So the guy has his, his you know, his jobs. He's experienced. He's, he's a medical professional and expert. Over 22,800 22, high-risk pregnancies in the past three years he's dealt with. This guy knows what he's talking about. And he lists off like a whole bunch of other credentials. His publications, con- his publications conclusively demonstrate that COVID-19 vaccination, in quotes, experiment has been one of the greatest disasters in the history of medicine. Big statement. Now, there are points in here that kind of make the argument that, you know, one, that COVID did hurt a lot of people and that lockdown, you know, there's you can read through the whole thing for yourself. I want to kind of just point to the things that are the broad discussions that are, you know, but people still disagree on whether COVID was dangerous, whether people are being sick and hurt by it now and so on. Right. That matters. But this point we're focusing on is the fact that pretty much every expert now is realizing the injections are bad and dangerous, regardless of whether you think they may still have a use for these categories and so on. That's just the important reality that even people that still think that are still saying these are pretty dangerous. Now, it says this is the greatest medical disaster. This is written by James A. Thorpe, MD. This is the this is the greatest medical disaster in the history of obstetrics. I believe that's how it's pronounced and all of medicine. I testify that this unwarranted experimental gene therapy was never indicated in pregnancy and was perpetuated unlawfully and with falsified data. Now, this is what we keep telling you. I've been showing this kind of stuff for a while. This is what's so mind-blowing. This isn't even sacred. You've got doctors posting stuff on Twitter saying, highly recommended for pregnant women. Why? Well, because that's what the CDC tells them to say, right? But the point is, it was seen many times, and I, I listed all right here, all the links and everything. How can the COVID jab, both bivalent and original, be recommended as safe, as you just saw, to pregnant breastfeeding women if the most current data as of September 2022? from the jab makers themselves and the governments show that they do not know if it's safe. For those that haven't seen it, and the links are down, you can check for yourself. This is from August 31st, 2022. There is no data, zero data available on whether these are safe during pregnancy. So how is that possible? Right? And the other documents say the same thing and you can read it all for yourself. That's what's happening. At the very least, they don't know if it's safe. But the reality, I think, is that they did know that it wasn't. And that's what they're arguing here and just held that back from people. It was known by Satchdelich et al. as early as 2012 that lipid nanoparticles, the concentration of them in the ovaries of mice and, and Wistar rats. Now, we already pointed at this in one of Pfizer's own studies. 
A lot of us did in the buildup in the spleen, the pancreas, the ovaries, the reproductive organs, as well as the fact of what they're also mentioned here, the manip, the uh, skeletal deformations of the rats and things that we keep pointing at the almost 10% decrease in pregnancy index, according to Pfizer's own study. And then just add the caveat that, well, if it's not below 25, we don't have to report it. Well, I, I, I've argued from the beginning and clearly we're right now that women would have wanted to know if they had a 9% decrease in pregnancy index, which we can clearly see is probably way worse than that. But it goes on to say the FOIA request of the Japanese Pfizer biodistribution studies, all of which are linked. You can check for yourself. Absolutely confirmed within 48 hours of the vaccine in quotes was immediately absorbed in the bloodstream and concentrated in the ovaries 118 fold. Wow. By 48 hours and the trajectory of the concentration would have risen even higher had the animals not been sacrificed at 48 hours. This is all there. Trust the science though, right? This experimental therapy may have permanent damaging effects on the human genome for multiple generations and makes the, uh, let's look at this real quick, pronunciation. Diethylstilbestrol. Jeez, <laughs> these words are crazy. One more time. Diethylstilbestrol. That's the word. Diethylstilbestrol. My God, what a word. I don't even know what that is. What does it say here? A non-steroidal synthetic drug, apparently it was just damaging. Oh, okay, yeah. So it specifically was found to cause vaginal cancer. Wow. So again, and I wonder who, who made that drug. Let's see. Let's find out. Can we take a shot in the dark? No, doesn't look like it. In the chat, let me know if you guys know who made this. Let's see. Oh, manufacturer. Eli Lilly. Also not surprising. In any case, thought that was interesting. Okay, so the the bottom line is this experiment may make what that, which this horrible problem pale in comparison. Now it says, as argued in 2020, it was never necessary in pregnancy because there was ample there were ample data suggesting that alternate therapies were available. Now, we all somehow know some part of that today, but these were suppressed, buried, and, van and villainized by the medical industry complex for the sole purpose, in his opinion, of paving the way for a lucrative experimental gene therapy masquerading as a vaccine. However you think, or whatever you think the intent was, there's endless amounts of peer-reviewed science from Japan, Israel, all around the world showing you that ivermectin and plenty of others absolutely have an effect. I was just looking at a study that was showing that, um, what was it? I've shown you the one about cannabis that has an absolutely strong effect. I just was just, somebody was just, somebody sent me an interesting video from somebody that I'm going to check out later. What was that? That's frustrating. I'm not going to remember now, but it was something totally average that was shown to have strong effects in stopping the, the, the uh, replication of SARS-CoV-2. There's so, I, I make this argument going as far back as, as far as, far as I can remember the things like partially juiced showed to have amazing effects in suppressing cancer, but no, they just don't want you to know that. We should hope we should be aware of this by now. Going forward, it says not only do the bio, do, do the biodistribution studies document the disastrous concentration of the lipid nanoparticles in the ovaries adjacent to the precious and limited ova of our future generations, but these products also concentrate in the thymus gland in fetal life, potentially rendering permanent harm to the seed of the immune function for life. 
Alexandra uh, Lat- Latpova, a pharmaceutical whistleblower, testifies that the industry knowingly and purposely falsified and hid from the public devastating reproductive toxicology studies documenting development of severe rib anomalies in the animals, a condition in humans that is equivalent to the lethal skeletal dysplasia. Now, and that's not, I, it doesn't sound like they're pointing to the same report, but remember Pfizer's own data found that the rat, the rats had missing ribs, wavy di- uh, uh, distortions in the skeletal structure that they just dismissed. I, I mean, it's, it, there's been evidence of this from the very beginning. And if you watch this show, then you've been informed about this stuff. The damning Pfizer 5.3.6 post-marketing research document, which you can check there for yourself, unparalleled deaths after the, quote, vaccine in 1,223 patients in less than 90 days and by all other historical standards should have been immediately removed from the market in December 2020. Pfizer attempted to block the release for 75 years. That's what they were trying to hide. That's the point. The swine flu vaccine, or one of the things, by the way, but I've mentioned this as many have, the swine flu vaccine, one of them, was immediately removed from the market in 1976 for only 26 deaths and a few cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome, all of which were completely unverified. This was the Bayer, not the Bayer system, but a, a, a similar scenario. If the above Pfizer 5.3.6 data are not disturbing enough, go to page 12, where the pregnancy loss, miscarriage, fetal death, and neonatal deaths are documented in pregnant women given the vaccine. Of the 270 pregnant women given the vaccine during their own trial, 124, 124 of 270 had complications after administration. It's all right here for you to look at. There were 1,366 peer-reviewed publications in just 15 months documenting severe complications and death after the vaccine. 1,366 peer-reviewed studies in 15 months alone finding death, complication after the vaccine. But we're all conspiracy theorists, though, right? Trust the science, though, right? My God. Our recent publication has documented unequivocal danger signals from the Bayer's report using the influenza vaccines over the past 284 months as a control group compared to that of the COVID vaccines, in quotes, in just 18 months with a proportional reporting ratios well above the CDC FDA danger signal of two. So that, what they're proving to you there is that based on their previous standing before COVID changed everything, that what we're seeing, and if, if, if this would happen in the flu, let's say, then it's wildly above what they would argue is a, da- a danger signal. What you're not even, again, not even prove. You don't need to prove it. Just the signal is supposed to be able, what stops this. We've been past that for a long time. The increase in menstrual abnormalities increased by 1,192 fold. The increase in menstrual abnormalities increased by over a thousand fold. Miscarriage. 75 times bit larger. Fetal mal- malformation increased by 20 fold. Fetal cardiac disease by 16 times. Fetal growth restrictions by 25 times. Oli, uh, oh, let's do that one. Why not? Since we're, we did the other one. Let's see what this says. Oh, maybe it's not there. There we go. Oligohydramnios. <laughs> These words are crazy. Oligo. Oligohydramnios. 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 I'm not going to remember these. Oligohydramnios. 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 That's an interesting one. In any case, I'm doing this for your benefit. I'm never, never going to remember those. But that, whatever. And oh, I should have done that too, since we're looking at it. Well, what, what was it? 
deficiency of amniotic fluid, sometimes resulting in the embryonic defect through, right? So affecting pregnancy and re- reproductivity. Ah, man, it's disgusting. And feet, and this is the worst part, guys. Fetal death in general has increased by 38 fold, according to their own, their own information. I can produce over 30 other completely independent worldwide sources that are consistent with this data and actually worse, including that of the UK yellow card and the European Medicines Agency, Endura Vigilance, the World Health Organization, Vigi Access, and the World Council for Health. So all of their systems show you this and they just don't care? Yes. Or act like we, we, oh, we don't know for sure. Then what are all the systems there for? Either you're not caring to look into it or it was never meant to be looked into. This is criminal. The CDC admitted they have not been transparent with the data, which is obvious since they have still not acknowledged the presence of this report itself, documented as discussed above. They have hidden this data from the worldwide citizens responsible for killing and injuring tens of millions. The most accurate medical database in the world, the military DMED database, shows disastrous effects of the, quote, vaccine in pregnancy as reviewed by Senator Ron Johnson. Moreover, they have tied, tried to hide their phone data that could be easily, manipula- could be easily manipulated as used by, in the Shimabukuro New England Journal of Medicine. Instead, CDC is now hiding V-safe data because the data was damning and 7.7% of participants required to visit the hospital or medical provider for complications after the vaccine. Now, I believe there is a, a, a quote kind of circulating that doesn't seem entirely accurate based on the data that I've seen, something about 18 million people or 8 million people. And it's, I think it was either rounded numbers or whatever. The bottom line was, this is what we should be referencing. Because some, some of the things being circulated out there don't seem to be accurate. And I think that's being used to dismiss this from people that want to, as always. That's powerful. I mean, my God, guys, this is just one more in an endless waterfall of high-level experts that are screaming this is hurting people. And Pelham points out, just again, in case you want to look at Bayer's itself, it's right there. The link is there for you. This is reports of miscarriage and stillbirth by year. It speaks for itself, guys. Just look at that. Small spike in 2009 that maybe gets to 250 in a year. As of this moment, 2021, over 3,500. Excuse me. And as of this moment in 2022, it's over 1,500. This is just disgusting what's happening. And and we're going to act like there's, no, we, who knows? We're baffled. Well, there's only a few things. Like, here's the point, first of all, is that we know, by the way, that this is happening to a degree because we literally just pointed at CDC data that shows this stuff. But the point is, yes, some of those could not be connected, but they're going out of their way to make sure that they don't ever try to find that out because they care about your safety, right? And this is something I mentioned, mentioned yesterday. Just kind of, I, Again, I don't know if it's accurate that it's three people, but we all know this is a reality. The, the meme says when a package of lettuce makes three people sick, there's a nationwide recall. Now, I don't even think that's that far off. I mean, I worked in restaurants my whole life. I, I argue that it could be as little as one. If you have a large enough report about some, you know, uh, uh, salmonella or something, they take that wildly serious and they, and they will shut these things down very quickly. In my experience, at least in the past, working with these restaurants, because they, they ask for you to report this stuff if you find things or, you know, an infestation, let's say. But the point is when, you know, a small number of people get sick, just reportedly, by the way, they don't ask for some kind of provable test. 
Did you actually get sick from the lettuce? They just take your word because it's just a signal. That's the same point. And they research it just to be safe. Nationwide recall, right? But when vaccines maim and murder tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands, they just mandate you take even more. It's pretty accurate. Now here is the lies we're being told. Like these are the people, some of them anyway, that are pushing this stuff still. And yet now... They're trying to revamp the entire argument and act like things weren't what they always were, right? Just like the idea of the amnesty discussion, right? Here is Gretchen Whitmer actually arguing, no joke, that there was never a time when people were forced into nursing homes. It just didn't happen. You're a liar. You're a conspiracy theorist. Gret, the decisions you made when it comes to nursing homes and COVID. So I think it's important to correct the record. The My opponent continues to tell people that... Nursing homes were forced to take COVID patients. They were not. They never were. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Okay. So set the narrative. Now, interesting, uh, you know, little amount of pushback from Fox News. I don't know why. Now, you can watch the full clip for yourself. But here is, first of all, somebody's comment. And you can, here's the citation, you know, the page itself. It says, residents with COVID-19 that require hospitalization can and should be discharged back to the facility of a residence of residents once they are clinically stable, regardless of whether COVID testing is still positive or not. So just first of all, that's the CDC giving the guidance, just like with the children's schedule. Same point. We know that people take that as gospel and act on it, even if they know it's not forced on them. But that's them saying, even if they're sick still, put them back in that home. So that's clear, first of all. So the CDC actively did suggest that. And then let's look at the ABC report where they say exactly that. Oh, wait a minute. What do you know? It looks like they deleted it. I wonder why that would be. Isn't this the, you know, record? Aren't there, aren't there reports supposed to be for, you know, I, I'm trying to be facetious here. The point is how obvious it is that Cork Media selectively chooses to delete certain things when that's not how that's ever supposed to go. If the website's still up, they should have all of their historical documentation there. But lucky for us and bad for them, there is the Wayback Machine. Here's ABC News. AP Count. Over 4,300 virus patients sent to New York nursing homes. More than 4,300 recovering coronavirus patients were sent to New York's already vulnerable nursing homes under a controversial state directive. Oops. That was ultimately scrapped amid criticisms it was possibly accelerating the outbreaks. But that's not, that is after it already happened. How can that even be? The big point is, obviously, we know this happened. It's written down by the corporate media. Now, instead of actually being journalists and holding to her account, holding her to account and writing an article going, but look, here's the proof. ABC News goes, delete. We'll just delete it. And we're good, right? Then it didn't happen. I mean, how pathetic is that? Now, I'm not saying I know that's why it got deleted, but sure certainly looks like that to me, seeing as how that verbatim says that it was a controversial directive. The state made that happen. I regret the decisions you made when it comes to nursing homes and COVID. So I think it's important to correct the record. The My opponent continues to tell people that nursing homes were forced to take COVID patients. They were not. They never were. Okay. Right there, liar, liar. Right there, that should be the end of the story, and they should be like, you're lying, here's the proof. And that's what real journalism would look, would look like, not the fluff garbage from either the two-party paradigm that we see. But here's more. Still there, actually, on CBS, May 21st, 2020. Coronavirus toll. What impact did New York's nursing home mandate, oops, have on COVID-19 deaths? How, so, you, so it's a mandate or it's not? You said they weren't forced, but a mandate is exactly what that is. 
Sorry, guys, you're lying and you're caught. But guess what won't happen? She won't get fact checked. You're not going to see any. I mean, where, I don't even know if Fox News will fact check her. That's kind of interesting, but maybe they will. Regardless, you're not going to see any real pushback on that argument. They're shifting the narrative. They're moving the goalpost. Just one more point on this. And just got you could do 40 hours of this kind of stuff of, of this entire illusion the whole damn thing from top to bottom has been lies but here is dr eli david making a, a, a interesting point remember the photo of coffins from italy in march 2020 that they, they were used to terrify the world and contributed to the lockdown frenzy it was fake like everything else here is the, the video or the image that was used they claim was from bergamo italy 2020 right just take note of the markings on the ground and the people in the background and it's exactly the same picture oops 2013. Now you could time. The point is that, you know, this couldn't maybe not from 2013 maybe from 2010. Who knows? Maybe it was faked then too. But the point is you can find this using 10 I, which is the one that I tend to use. There's a lot of them out there though. Reverse image search, right? Type it in or download it, put it in there and you'll find lots of examples previous to this, but they don't care. They don't care that you know, they lied. It's too late now. It was already used. They already got what they wanted out of it. Now, another way they're using this, so there's just an endless amount of lies to drive you in any direction they want. But now we're seeing them try to use, like, okay, for, we're gonna, remember that we just acknowledged that the data is showing you that these injections are dramatically hurting people. And that applies to everything we're seeing. On top of that, we know that masks increase the risk of infection. We know that the lockdowns reduce their immune system. We know that everything that seems to be doing to these people are hurting their immune system perfectly in exactly the same way. What a coincidence. But then we see them point to the things that that then causes as some unknown problem that we can't define like everything else, which is what we already talked about. But I want to add one more point to this. We're seeing a huge discussion that's still going about RSV. And I think that was respiratory uh, syncytial virus. I think I said synactical first or something like that, but it's syncytial virus. And that they're pointing at this spike and it's a problem. And they're already calling this potentially a tridemic covid and flu and rsv and but they're they're already pushing out mrna rsv vaccines this is wild and we're we're we despite the fact that we did have some wins in all this and we did slow this down and people are aware to a degree this is still sprinting forward right underneath the surface they once they get these vaccines in place it's the new generations and we keep going forward and we get distracted by war and distracted by elections next thing you know all of our injections pets and person are suddenly mrna we didn't even realize then what do you do I mean, then you, I mean, it's, I mean, I know what I would do, but the point is that it continues in this direction. We need to stop this now. And I said, if you forgot, so the fact, and it is a fact that both Pfizer and Moderna jabs increase your risk specifically of RSV, according to their own trial data, which I guess mainstream media just missed in their due diligence is not important. Nah, lockdown mass PCR, and we're right back in it, right? That's where this seems to be going. Here's the report. Surge in RSV cases hits California. If a child is sick, I send home an at-home COVID test as well in case they don't want to go. But I don't have anything unless they go to urgent care to notify if it is RSV. Daycare. Right. So listen to that again. California. If a child is sick, I send home an at-home COVID test as well in case they don't want to go. But I don't have anything unless they go to urgent care to notify if it is RSV. So I don't know. Say it with me, guys. I don't know. We're assuming it's RSV because it's sniffles. And then we give them a COVID test, which could, you know, 50-50 shot that it could be called COVID too. Maybe they're going to be called both, which is happening already. 
I mean, I can't even believe we're pretending that's real. This kid's got three things simultaneously. I mean, has it ever happened anywhere in history? Or is it a PCR test being positive, 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 whatever you put in front of it? I don't know. I, I mean, I honestly don't even know if it's possible to get three things simultaneously like that. You guys tell me. But regardless, I've never heard it talked about before. And now suddenly, right after they talk about Tridemic, the next story two days later is this kid's got three things simultaneously. Come on. I mean, it just, it's just too ridiculous. And what she's saying there is we have kids with sniffles. We send them home, which, by the way, it's just kids. People should make their own choices. That, regardless, I'm not even going to get into whether I think that's ridiculous. But the bottom line is that these people are possibly having a cold, possibly having allergies, and they're getting sent home. They're being forced to be tested, and then it's being called whatever they want it to be in some cases. Maybe some of them are RSV. The bottom line is we don't really end up knowing that. Daycare centers are extra watchful. Little Big Time Child Development Center is one of several daycares across Sacramento that have reported cases in recent weeks. Right. Cases of what? We've had one case so far, and usually most of my parents are really good about taking their children to urgent care. Most of my parents. That's kind of weird. If they have symptoms. And found that keeping COVID safety measures. So, so look, look again. They have symptoms. And found so far. And usually most of my parents are really good about taking their children to urgent care. Urgent care? If they have symptoms. If you have symptoms. Gee, I wonder why the hospital scream they're overwhelmed. Urgent care, right? Let's rush to urgent care because she's got the sniffles. Why? Because they've been so hyped on the fear that it may be something that could kill them. Which is always possible, by the way. But on top of that, especially Omicron, let alone what was happening before, they're dramatically at more risk from the flu. Dramatically. That's peer-reviewed science. Ten times over now. But let's all rush them to urgent care and give them tests, which will tell them what they want them to have because of the sniffles. Now, I'm kind of being facetious there. The point is the PCR test can be used that way. Whether they know that or not, they're testing with something that will give false positives, and then it gets called COVID. And half the time, what they're saying during this process is if you get a negative, we'll test again until you get a positive. That's actually what these news reports said. Just test twice or three times just to be sure. And if you get two negatives and a positive, well, that's a positive. That's what they're talking about. Don't forget, going all the way, taking a page back from the beginning of this. Remember, when we first stepped into the Delta and different discussions, remember what they were doing? The reason they were able to make this test suddenly adapt? Because all they did was say, well, there's an S gene dropout. Which, by the way, before they changed that, was called a negative. That's all that's happening. We very well may be testing for literally anything in front of them. And if they get a negative, in some cases, they call that, well, specifically Omicron or whatever else. We've already talked about all this. It's very possible there's literally nothing happening other than colds, flus, and whatever else. Pneumonia, allergies, anything that's just being called that. Certainly possible, at the very least, because of how easily this could be abused or that it could just happen because these people are just following orders. And found that keeping COVID safety measures in place is also helping reduce the spread of this respiratory virus. Okay, why exactly? Why? They're still going to school. They're, oh, the mask is what they're going to get into, right? Except that does not have a statistically significant reduction. It doesn't. There's no, it does not work. In fact, it dramatically increases the risk of, wait for it, respiratory infections. Perfect. So they're going, give them the mask because this problem, the mask then caused the problem and it gets worse and compounds. That's why these children are suffering in a lot of different ways. We still do COVID protocols, so we take temperatures of everybody, including staff, um, as they enter the facility. And then we also do, um, like, clean pens, dirty pens, so nobody has to double touch. We have hand sanitizer, face masks at the um, yep. entrance. Which is already sending more children to the hospital. 
UC Davis. It's funny how they said that. It almost sounded like she said masks are sending people to the hospital. I agree with that. Davis and Kaiser Permanente are seeing a spike earlier than usual. There are several children in the hospital for RSV, um, but we do have robust hospital capacity. Okay, so how many children in this location had RSV last year? More than several? Yes. Okay, so why are we acting like this is a problem now? Well, just because it's in the context of COVID, right? You can't have a cold. You can't have anything. You can't. We can't allow people just to get sick. That's crazy. What about the children? Except we'll use them to block ourselves from the problem and then act like we care about the children, right? Like, this is just nonsense. What we're there, this is fear. The people that actually believe it's happening are just hyped up on fear and propaganda. Everything they're dealing with right now, pre-COVID, was nothing. You wouldn't even heard about it. Last year's peak in the state happened during the month of December. This time around, doctors emphasize the need to contain the virus as the flu and COVID are expected to surge again. We're seeing enough positive tests that we've pulled the trigger on administration of monoclonal antibody prophylaxis for the... Great, so now we're giving treatments based on unknown, just to be safe though, even though those also have their negative side effects. The problem here is that this is under hype. Just because COVID and the argument that we're all in danger, this is just, it, people are just very quick to fall right back into these lines. And this, this is a problem for us. This is the mRNA direction. It's all continuing forward. Now, don't forget, by the way, that in every possible way, these things are, hurt, are increasing everybody's risk of infection, but specifically children, right? On top, or how about like MISC, which their own report just included in the potential adverse events, despite the fact the CDC, CDC still pretends it's only COVID that causes that. So here we are with a thousand different examples that lead in every direction. The injection causing these things, the mask causing these things, everything they're doing to these kids causing the things they're then blaming on something that doesn't seem to be even capable of causing what they're saying it is. That's where we are. This is creating the problem. Now, in case you didn't believe what I said before, which you should be questioning everything, the point is that this is what they're hyping while we know as a matter of fact, here's the report, the show I did it on. Uh, where was it? COVID jabs cause RSV that they do. And here's what this comes from. This is the report from Highwire where they went over this directly from Pfizer and Moderna. For those who didn't see it, just this quick part. The evidence that these these vaccines were increasing RSV or respiratory diseases in people mm. that took them. Let's look at Moderna's vaccine. This is the EUA. This is on the FDA's website. Moderna COVID-19 vaccine pediatric EUA. This is their decision uh, memorandum. So we look at some of the data. This is in two to five-year-olds. This is what they say. Within 28 days after vaccination, some respiratory tract-related infections were reported with greater frequency in the mRNA-1273, that's Moderna's uh, vaccine group, than in the placebo group. Events of pneumonia were reported by 0.3% and 0% of mRNA-1273 and placebo recipients, respectively. And then respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, infection was reported by 0.4% and less than 0.1% of mRNA-1273 and placebo recipients. So, so, so first of all, even though those numbers are small, the point is that's proof right there. Their own data shows you that if you take these injections, you have an increased risk of specifically RSV. The placebo had under 0.1. If you had the injections, it was 0.4, period. So you, you, you factor that into 330 million people. Well, yeah, you're going to see those problems pop up if that's true and accurate. But that's what their data is showing, and that's all we're pointing at. So their narrative is that there's an increase, and all they're doing is saying anything else but this. Don't look at the things we're giving them. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. Focus on the fact that we're telling you it's something else.
Pfizer's even worse. Respectively, so two to five year olds, you're seeing an increase. So four times, four times the amount. That's of, right. Uh, RSV. That's the right way to say that. Four times increase compared to not getting an injection. The in the vaccinated group compared to the unvaccinated group that hadn't received it. Right. And remember, these are these kids. These are this age group of these kids that are really, you know, out of school right now. Let's look at the six to 11 year olds. Same um, information data set, same sheet from Moderna. This is within 28 days after vaccination. Some respiratory treatments were reported more infections in 3.9, you know, with RSV quite a bit, actually. And so yeah. that's that's Moderna's. So let's look at Pfizer's. Pfizer's trial data, you know, we go in and out of this all the time. This is their six-month to four-year-old th- third dose uh, division mem- uh, memo. This is from the FDA again, and this is for the booster. We talk about serious adverse events, SAEs. It says, SAEs reported in the BNT162B2 group included RSV bronchiolitis, five participants. Then it goes on to say, a serious adverse events reported in the placebo group included bronchiolitis and RSV bronchiolitis, three participants. So you have five in the, in the vaccine group and three in the placebo group. So again, across the board with Pfizer and Moderna, you're seeing an increase in RSV after the shot. So this led us to say, uh, we went to our lawyers at ICANN and we had them send a letter to CDC director, Rochelle Walensky. This is that letter. It was just sent. Uh, regarding increased rate of respiratory syncytial virus RSV in children who received COVID-19 vaccine. And it says, in part, given the CDC's robust and ongoing data collection among those tested for and positive for RSV, please let us know the percent of children who have tested positive for RSV who have had who have received a COVID-19 vaccine prior to their RSV diagnosis. Really important right, information. Very simply put, when 40% of the school went you know, out of the school, did we test them to see if those that got RSV had gotten the COVID vaccine and compared that to the amount that had not gotten the COVID vaccine? I mean, this is such critical science. And as we said at the very top of the show, the CDC loves to approach versus the scientific method. They like the head in the sand method, which is let's don't ask any of the obvious questions. Like, why do we suddenly have outbreaks of RSV beyond anything we've ever seen before? Could it? Right. It's just so damn obvious. I mean, it's just ridiculous how obvious this is, and they just don't want to talk about it. Now, on top of that, University of Waterloo mandates masks indoors for the rest of the term. Toronto waiting on province. Cool. So we're just going to jam, push forward on all the things we know are hurting people because narrative. Because that's what the right, that's what you're supposed to do, right? University of Waterloo is going to do what, what we're supposed to do so we get the pat on the head, and we get told we're doing right. We're, we're, we're the woke ones, and we understand. Trust the science means ignore everything we think doesn't align with what we're told. Ignore all the peer-reviewed science that very clearly shows you these are increasing risk of infection. Very clearly shows you that they're dangerous, especially to children. Now, all fake news. Force it on them anyway. So whether it's this or everything else included, it's just amazing it's still happening. So the, the risk, increased risk of infection, especially with cloth masks, which is what most kids are wearing, is what they're forcing on them right here. It just never ends. And on top of that, by the way, Carl Vernon points out, baffling mouth cancer causes grow as cases skyrocket in the UK. And we're baffled about it. I mean, it's just so silly how much of this. Now, I'm not saying all of this is all mass vaccine COVID stuff. I, I don't know. But what I do know is that it obviously has an overlap and they just don't want to talk about it. As this Tuffy points out, scientists find evidence of toxic chemicals in some face masks. No, but fake news, though. You can't even argue. Ask might have any indicate any overlap here at all because you're crazy. 
but then we'll very clearly point out how those things can cause cancer. But no, no fake news, though. There, this is why you know at some level there are people in the mainstream that are just terrified to admit that they know you're right. Some of them just don't know, but many of them do. And they're cowards for running from this because they're, they know they're wrong. Just to add, by the way, that breaking five times vax CDC director test positive again for COVID. Paxlovid rebound, five times vax, wearing a mask, right? And that's, you know, apparently what's the right way to go. <laughs> My God, this is just so ridiculous. Now, myocarditis, by the way, the, one of the most important parts in all of this is something that they're trying to hide because it's the most obvious problem by trying to counterbalance it by saying, but, but, but it's worse with COVID, but that's also not true. But as I've said, even if it was, it's a false, it's a false choice. You get immediate risk, immediate one and three to five to 6,000 risk, which is unreal the moment that shot goes in your arm, especially at, at a time when you're being told it's 10 times less dangerous than the flu, the thing you're supposed to be protected from, and then you increase your risk of a wildly, potentially mortal or uh, fatal and, uh, uh, side effect, one in 6,000. I mean, it just it doesn't even make sense. The point was that you have to get COVID to, to, to gain the risk they say is there, which I'm going to prove to you isn't. So how does that even add up? If there is a risk, you have a sl very small chance of getting COVID. Everybody knows that 99 point. I mean, the, that's, that's survival, right? Whatever. The point is a lot of people have never even get this kind of stuff. So there's a chance that you'll be fine. You never even touch it. The risk never even comes to pass. But if you take the shot, you're guaranteeing yourself that risk. This is just, they know that. I mean, this is basic statistical stuff. They don't care. Here's the a new analysis that we already saw come out, confirming yet again the thing they called fake news for a really long time, which is that the comprehensive review published research confirming that people have an increased risk for myocarditis after the shot. That was fake news, and I lost, I think, two accounts for asking whether that was possible. And now we're grudgingly still admitting it. But, of course, they have to counterbalance it with the fact that the incidence of these things are more severe after SARS-CoV-2 than after vaccination. That's their argument. They still, they always, that's the only thing they can stand on. But as you should know by now, that's not true. Now, this is, this is just pointing back to the one we already discussed. This is the, the uh, Substack post from today. T-Lab headed the curve again. No increased risk of myocarditis after COVID-19 infection. And this time what the point is, is that Dr. McCullough, and I'll just bring this up too, community COVID respiratory illness not associated with myopericarditis, which is, you know, both pericarditis, myocarditis, the overlap. And this is coming from an Israeli study. You can read it for yourself. So another study comes out showing that it does not cause it. Just because they say it over and over doesn't make that the case. Here we go. We can see it. Now, look, I'll be the first one to point out that I, I would wonder, that's interesting to me because you would think the spike protein might be part of that. But I argue it's the combination of all of it. The mRNA, the lipid nanoparticles, the spike proteins, these things are, are dangerous in and of themselves, in their own ways. And that's why we're seeing things like blood clots happen, whether or not they have myocarditis, because they're circulating your bloodstream. But the specific heart issue, I think, is more specific, focused. I don't know. But bottom line is, the peer-reviewed research continues to find this. Here's the show we talked about. This is June 2nd. Zero increased myocarditis risk for the unvaxxed. Again, demonstrating our value. You would have known about this all the way back in June if you've been watching our show. And it's not just my opinion. Here's the peer-reviewed science that I've, I've pointed out a hundred times since then. This is posted on April 15th, 2022. The incident of myocarditis and pericarditis in post-COVID unvaccinated patients, a large population-based study, a peer-reviewed post, peer-reviewed study from the, the Journal of Clinical Medicine. 
the post-COVID-19 infection was not associated with either myocarditis or pericarditis. We did not observe an increased incidence of either of them after COVID infection. It's very simple. Now you've got more peer-reviewed science saying the exact same thing. And yet all they can do is just keep arguing that that's more dangerous, despite the nudes data, even from their own research, showing that it's less than the flu. But none of this even adds up. I just happened to glance over. Somebody was asking if I'd covered the code on optimization. I did. I did cover that right when it happened in the, in the overlap. I think for me, it became most evident in the overlap of community, right? When they, the community was supposed to be only legally distinct, except there was like three different things in it. One of them was the code on optimization. But go back to that and check out the old research for that point. But either way, guys, this is obvious. that They're just trying to hide from the reality. Now, here is how they're covering this up to a large degree in the UK, as according to the Daily Skeptic. Now they blame the NHS backlogs for all the excess heart deaths. Backlogs. Except the ones that are baffling and there's no sign of what happened, you can't call that a heart backlog. You see my point? This is what I keep saying. SIDS and SADS, that's not, well, they have cancer that got really bad because lockdown, we'll call it SID. No, that means we have no clue why they died. You can't keep pretending lockdowns and lack of medical resources are why these are happening if you can't even prove why they died. Again, the medical uh, uh, head medical examiner of Pittsburgh back in the beginning of all this on the record said that if you have no clear cause and you know they were injected, that's usually an indication it was the vaccine. They're not allowed to say that today. They'll be canceled. But here we are continuing to argue that the the government and the media, not the skeptic, but the corporate media saying that it's just because we couldn't get ambulances to them. We couldn't get there in time. Acting like it's all just normal stuff. It's only because, you know, we don't have the resources. That's not the case. It's just not. There's an, a gigantic category of unexplained things they're pretending are because of this. It says, after a brief period when post-COVID after effects were identified as the main culprit for the large risk and excess non-COVID death in 2022, that theory now seems to have fallen out of favor. Don't you love how that works? If that was the case, and they were shouting you down by saying that narrative, and now they just say something else, clearly they're scared of what you're saying, and they just want to be right. If this is like these people were saying, we always we saw the same thing. Well, it's long COVID. It's the lockdowns caused it. Well, now that's suddenly not the case anymore, according to the corporate narrative and the trust the science crowd. Is that because it dawned on people that if the virus is to blame, then by the same logic, vaccine after effects become implicated as well? That's to his point. But he goes on to say, neither vaccine nor virus has made it into the latest explanations for the rise in heart attacks and stroke deaths. Of course, because they don't want you thinking about this. They want to blame it on something else. The British Heart Foundation, as we just talked about, has released analysis laying the blame squarely on the reduced access to health care. Now, there's an important point in there where they do admit there's a a 30,000 increase in strokes and heart attacks. But then, of course, they try to lay it at the feet of this problem. There wasn't enough help. We didn't have ambulances. We had lockdowns. People couldn't get treated. But that does not explain the bulk of the excess unexplainable deaths. This is the explaining the excess death that we know what caused it. That's not the majority. According to the BBC, extreme disruption to NHS services has been driving a sharp spike in heart disease death since the start of the pandemic, a charity has warned. So this is not the same thing. This is just showing an increase in one specific thing because of how people had less availability for treatment. That was the case. And that's what we screamed about in the beginning. You're going to hurt people by doing this. They go, fake news, conspiracy theorists. Now they're pointing at that same point to make it seem like that's all that happened. Why can't we all see that? That means we were right to begin with, if you believe their statement now, which again, I don't even believe it. I do know that this did happen to a degree. They're trying to capitalize on this small part of it and act like that's all of it right there. Not the vaccines. No, no, of course not. 
But again, they're admitting that the thing they screamed you down for was at least to some degree correct. It's in, it's infuriating. The British Heart Foundation says ambulance delays, in, inaccessible care, and waits for surgery are linked to 30,000 excess deaths in England, cardiac deaths. It has called for a new strategy to reduce unacceptable waiting times. Now, yeah, even within that number, though, you have to acknowledge that there are people that have had heart attacks and strokes and blood clots because of the injection. That's been proven by doctors. They've literally wrote down this is vaccine-induced myocarditis, and yet they won't even factor that in. That's willful ignorance by the very group that's literally studying heart, the, heart, the, the British Heart Foundation. How, again, I make this point every time. If they've admitted it can cause a heart attack, why isn't it even mentioned when you're discussing the focus of heart attacks? That's obvious. That's a huge red flag. Some of that rise can still be explained by COVID, they say. Another factor could be the aging population. This is what they're arguing. And, uh, new, and, but this is frustrating. Suddenly, it's the aging population that all just suddenly happened at one time. That's not even how that works. These are just desperate arguments to try to make anything else make sense, despite other than the thing they admitted can do exactly what's happening. New analysis of the mortality data by the BHF suggests heart disease is among the most common cause. Interesting when you're giving people something that increases the risk of heart disease. Ouch, baffling. Michael Simmons in The Spectator notes the odd lack of interest from government in the cause of these tens of thousand deaths. It's odd, isn't it? It's very confusing why they act like we care about 400 children being hospitalized throughout the entirety of COVID, but don't care about tens of thousands of unexplainable deaths. Totally makes sense, doesn't it? Despite increased pressure from academics, uh, academics, uh, clinicians, and now charities, the government still displays little interest in what could be considered one of the greatest ever health crises, right? More excess death right now than the peak of COVID-19. That's real. An investigation was promised by the then health secretary earlier this year, but we're on to our third government since then, right? Overlap this same point in the UK with what's happening with the CDC. We'll release all the data by September 30th and then don't do it. We're going to release all this information by this time. They have to be sued to get it out. How do you miss what that shows you? Here's the same point in the UK. An investigation was promised to investigate this very important problem, but then they just don't do it. Third government since that promise was made. An official in the House of Health Improvement and Disparities wasn't even aware it was something they monitored when asked about it earlier this week. Can you believe that? Either she knew and lied about it, or she's just completely ignorant to what she's supposed to be doing. Either way makes sense to me. When asked directly about the problem they've promised three times to look into, she goes, oh, I didn't even know it was my job. Wow. This is why I argue these people aren't even remotely in control of what's happening. Senior clinicians are starting to worry that the lack of attention from the government and the health service is fueling conspiracy theories. Gee, I wonder why. So they're not even doing their job. They don't even, are, aren't even aware of what they're supposed to be monitoring. And when we simply point out, maybe there's more to the story. Oh, conspiracy theory. Yeah, how about we start realizing that people that are willing to question the narrative are in fact routinely now showing to be correct. Call it whatever you want. Call it conspiracy theory. I'll take that. We're theorizing about how they're conspiring to control your life. That is about the most obvious thing happening today. Those concerned about possible long-term effects of the vaccine are not the only ones intrigued by excess deaths. Some followers of the data have contacted this writer, this is uh, Toby, I believe, to suggest that perhaps there aren't any excess deaths at all. You see how this goes? Oh, that, but that's not a conspiracy theorist or theory, right? You can't. That's okay. You're allowed to suggest that it might be a complete illusion as long as that illusion errs on the side of them not having a problem. But when you ask, maybe it's worse, well, you're a conspiracy theorist. How does that even make sense? You know why. 
Yes, the ONS data is crude, they say, but it's not the only finding pointing to increased excess deaths. Finally, it says, I'm sure, let me make sure it is, uh, no, excuse me, it's Will Jones writing this for the Daily Skeptic, Toby being the, the editor-in-chief, finishes by saying, I'm sure that lack of access to healthcare during the pandemic and the resulting NHS backlogs and delays in emergency care are, of course, playing their part in the excess heart and stroke death. I, of course, we should agree with that. To what degree? Who knows? No way it's the entire picture based on everything we know right now. It can't be when we know these things can cause some of it. But these excess deaths are happening all over Europe and beyond, not just in the UK. So there you go. Their lie is exposed. Not everywhere in the world had these same problems with hospitals and shutdowns and lockdown, right? But they're having the exact same, almost near exact same excess death with correlation to their vaccination program. You know what that is. Why are those in charge so sure that the experimental mRNA and DNA vaccines that the large majority of the population have been injected with drugs with known links to heart and blood clotting problems with no long-term safety data are not also playing a part? I mean, it's a stupid question. I mean, it's a right. It's the best question, but it's, in, it's incredible that we even have to ask that. Why is the possibility not even raised unless to dismiss it as a conspiracy theory? Well, that's why. At what point will journalists treat it with the seriousness it is due and join the calls for proper investigation? Well, when their job does no longer depends on them hiding from it. That's when. But don't forget, as he mentioned, and it is correct, right now, as of the most current data from these injections, it still says the long-term safety of COVID-19 mRNA vaccine is unknown at present. Just to make sure you didn't think that was a false statement. We have no idea. Or rather, you know, or rather, we don't. I, I argue they do to some degree. This is just not what we're being told. Now, Dr. Asima Holtra has been one of the earliest ones to come out from the other side and say, yes, this is not just small or some groups or this or that's everybody. That everybody should stop taking this until proven otherwise is what he's saying. Basically, that these are causing exactly what we've been saying. Right. Think about how frustrating it must be for those calling goodsciencing.com and myself and others, Jay Wilderness, conspiracy theorists for, you know, that we're too stupid to understand that's always been there. We're just looking at it wrong now. And we don't right that we're pretending and we're we're conflating other things and athletes collapsing isn't a real discussion. Imagine how irritating it must be for them, for someone like Dr. Asima Holter to step up and go, actually, they're right. Actually, actually, they're correct. The data is showing you that there is an overlap. We don't know to what degree, which is, by the way, what we've always been saying, but we know there is an, an issue here. And as his point is, until proven otherwise, they should be stopped immediately. So all those talking head idiots out there that were shouting you down because they thought that was their job are wrong. We need to see that by now. As Dr. Maholcher writes, this is heartbreaking to watch. Yesterday, here, let me just do this, actually. And I opened the paper and I said, oh, well, unexpectedly, she woke up and died. Who knows? Young people are dying these days. There you go. He says, this is a heartbreaking watch. Yesterday, the British Heart Foundation announced. It is my 30... duty and responsibility. Oh, I, did not, I didn't think there was that much speaking. I'll, I'll read it afterward. A consultant and public health campaigner to urgently inform doctors, patients, and members of the public that the COVID mRNA vaccine has likely played a significant role or been a primary cause of unexpected cardiac arrests, heart attacks, strokes, cardiac arrhythmias, and heart failure since 2021 until proven otherwise.
200 papers showing that the myocarditis causes heart damage and a scar, and then the scar becomes the basis for a cardiac arrhythmia, and then the arrhythmia is responsible for the sudden death that we're seeing, and we're seeing sudden death now on a massive scale in younger people. Um, it's my view. It's the COVID-19 vaccine until proven otherwise. 45-year-old Deputy Sheriff Chad Beatty. The coroner says he suffered a cardiac event in his patrol car. Canadian comedian Nick Nemiroff. Here he is in hospital. I will not get the third shot. I will not. Pfizer me once. No shame. Pfizer me twice. Shame on COVID. Pfizer me three times. Shame on you. You want me to get a third shot? What's next? A fifth shot? No, thank you. Uh, we'd ask him on the show, but he's dead. 32 years old. Cause of death unknown. We just saw a montage uh, implicating, I think clearly demonstrating that the COVID-19 vaccines, actually all of them cause myocarditis or heart inflammation and it's fatal. It's just incredible. I mean, I'm all speechless at this point. You know, it's like I've never wanted to be wrong about something more in my life. This is just so disgusting and so obvious. And it really does. I mean, you know me, I've always been sort of like pessimistic about, you know, we're really more so about the media and the government and the direction. I like to believe that most people are good at heart and want to be. But from an authority position, from a, you know, from a leadership, if you dare use that word position, it just makes you it's 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 broken. I mean, I'm, I'm more pessimistic now than ever. Right. There's no way you can see all this happening and not realize that somebody at some level in positions of power are well aware of this and actively hiding it from you while forcing it more on people right now. I mean, it's just it's this is a big deal. We are in a situation right now where we're finally seeing through the cracks. We can't let it go back to sleep. Here's another example. 
This is a, and this one really bothers me because of who's there. You can see the, uh, what was his name? The, the prime minister there. He, he basically walks over there. This is in Australia. And just kind of mills over the body that just collapsed. Like, oh, what's going on? You know, acting like, like, you know, this, I, I contend this person is well aware of what is well aware of what's going on. And at an area that he, and at a, at a meeting or a, a live per, uh, recording, geez, a live, a live video, he's on video and it happens while he's speak while they're speaking. I mean, realize how many of these must be happening for these to be so constantly caught on live feeds in the media for crying out loud. It's everywhere. So it cannot be compared in any way, shape or form. They're two very, very different partnerships and this partnership values the content that we offer. So everything from pathway events through to the elite competition are some of the things... Oh, hang on a minute. Might just need to pause. Right there. See, that's he's the one on the far left. Dan, Dan Andrews, thank you. So it seems like someone has had an issue there and fallen over that news conference. We see the Premier stopping to check on what's happening there. We'll just... Right, right. Let me just, yeah, I mean... Just... But meanwhile, let's keep promoting the injection and keep forcing it on children. It's just disgusting. This is as this is you can't throw a stone right now without hitting people that have experienced this in their own lives. Here's another one. This is at a public order emergency commission meeting. <laughs> it is literally everywhere. Uh, commercial CMV. That's commercial vehicles. Yes. <gasps> My God. Yeah, no big deal, nothing to see here. Move along, everybody. Let's let's come let's bring back the live stream and continue to promote vaccination, right? It's just incredible. How are we pretending this isn't happening? Or are they pretending this isn't happening? 35-year-old Hallie Fuller passed away suddenly from an unexpected medical condition. According to her obituary, she was employed by UPMC William, William Sport in Family Medicine Residency as a Director of Operations. My God. People that are involved with these programs. Doctors themselves. It's everywhere. Now again, I'm not arguing I know for sure that every single one of these people necessarily are because of it. My point has always been that it is so far past something we can ignore like I've said with the with the FIFA and the NIH study, I mean, I was making this argument in 2021, guys, that the data was clear that we were already past what would have been expected in a normal year previous, according to two massive six to ten year studies from the NIH, FIFA and the NIH themselves, and nobody cared that we're three, four times larger right now. It was in 2021 than than any year before this, and we're not even done with the year, and that's just athletes, not even counting children. But I was a conspiracy theorist when I pointed it out. Apparently. Only just now is it finally starting to break through. Like, what you know what's interesting to me? Why is it only meaningful to people when the right person presents the study? You know what I mean? Like, I know a lot of you, we're, we, we watch the show and we, we understand that anybody can realize this stuff. But for the average person, like this, you could show them my video going over the peer-reviewed study. And they'll still kind of be like, well, I don't know. I don't know. But then you get a high-level person. You know, Dr. Malone comes out and points at it and talks about it. And then suddenly it breaks through all the conversation. It's just interesting, isn't it? It just shows you that either it's either that there's, a, as I think, a, a very strongly controlled flow of information, but or just that people, for some reason, are more. It's more about the person representing it than it is the bulk of the data. 
which just shows you how easily swayed we are as individuals, as people, by influence. Talk TV points out another doctor speaking up. Since the start of the COVID pandemic, 30,000 people with heart problems have died needlessly. Now, this is the overlap with the Heart Foundation concept, and it's not about, in my opinion, anything other than what we just discussed. But Daily Skeptic editor Dr. Will Jones, and this one we just read from, believes the COVID vaccines may have a role to play. Here's the here's the uh, video. Is it concern, and this is fueling a lot of conspiracy theories as well as genuine concern, that how much of it may or may not be due to vaccines as well. Talk us through what the what, what the issues are. Can I just say that I have issue with even framing it like that? Why are these people so concerned about the word conspiracy theory? Are people not allowed to wonder and theorize about how this may be used? Historically, of course they are. Are you telling me governments have never lied to us? That governments have never given you something and pretended it was something else? That they've never manufactured justifications? Like, I just can't stand how stupid that is at its core. Some people pushing conspiracy theories. All you mean by saying that is people are coming to different conclusions about what they think is happening. And maybe some of them push them baselessly. So too does the corporate media all the damn time. It's just such a frustrating reality that they, but we always have to counterbalance it by going, well, conspiracy theory. I, I lose respect for anybody doing that immediately. Right, thanks, Julia. So there's been uh, 22,000 excess non-COVID deaths uh, since the spring this year. Um, so that's just in the last uh, eight months or so. And uh, and the British Heart Foundation report, which you've uh, rightly uh, mentioned, uh, says, um, as well as uh, highlighting these deaths and pointing out that, that many of them are heart-related, um, it also says that the, the British Heart Foundation says that these they're not now being driven by COVID or by the virus, um, it, including by post-infection uh, virus effects. Um, and so, and of course, as you said, they're blaming the NHS uh, backlog. Um, but is that all that's really going on? So, um, what? So we've got so we, so all the the country has been um, vaccinated with this uh, with these experimental mRNA and DNA vaccines. Um, and many doctors now are asking, uh, are these contributing to the problem? Are they are they causing problems? Uh, we've had two leading cardiologists, heart doctors, uh, on this side this side of the, uh, the Atlantic and in America, um, who, has, who have raised this question uh, and raised concerns about this. We've had Dr. Asim Mahotra and Dr. Peter McCullough. Yeah, I've, look, I've seen a lot of what Dr. Asim Mahotra has said, and a lot of people have been tweeting me, why haven't you had him on the show to talk about this? I, I, I am not confident about his analysis of some of the stats that he has looked into. <laughs> um, and I think I've seen other analyses which suggest that, that, that actually his argument isn't, isn't completely convincing. I'm, I'm so open to this. And it seems to me that when... Let's, let's just pause for a second. First of all, not that, you know, everyone has a right to their opinion. I, may, I say this about people that have more credentials than me all the time. I don't agree with what they're saying. Okay, that's fine. But just recognize that he is an expert. And in, in this case, she's not which you could say the same thing about me in those situations. But the point is that what is he actually saying? What are you taking issue with? That he's arguing that we don't know and that we should pause until we find out? That's his argument. That there is an overlap. And there's how you could possibly even deny that when, again, they admit it can do it, no matter how rare they say it is, that means for sure there's some overlap. What's the pushback about? He's right, clearly. And all he's saying is we need to pause until proven otherwise. I, I'm increasingly having doubts about these people in, in certain positions that are, you know, at some points we're put, saying and questioning certain things. That seems pretty ridiculous to me personally.
When there is concern about something like this, we should have a proper investigation. We need an independent analysis. I'm, I'm always worried. I don't actually want people with. in the NHS looking into it because, then, you know, you've got people marking their own homework. We need independent analysis of what is going on and the decisions that were made and whether or not there is a risk from these, you know, jabs. And we know. And you know what that is? Exactly what Maholter is doing is if he's nothing, if not independent analysis, what Dr. Peter McCullough is doing is nothing, but if not independent analysis. Now, let's just take well, not let's not make it personal. How about the groups they work with? How about ICANN and IPAD, all these different groups that they work with or the doctors for COVID ethics? They're all doing that. They're all independently verifying their own. Re- and they, they, she'd go, we need an independent research. What? You mean like a CDC independent research? Like, what are you asking for? My, the, the problem is that's already happening and that's what this is. And all they can do is go, we need independent research. <laughs> okay. We know that the trade-off, the JCVI was, you know, the Joint uh, Committee on, on Vaccination and Immunization. They made it very clear to the government about, you know, under 18s and the government still pushed them to go ahead and give jabs to under 18s, even right. though a healthy under 18 year old is at virtually zero risk from COVID, uh, but can be at certainly young boys, uh, teenage right. boys at higher risk of, of, of having some sort of heart problem as a result of the jab, as opposed to having COVID. And so you can state that, but then you act like you're, the idea that what he's saying is not accurate when all he's really ultimately arguing is that we should investigate because we don't know. That, that doesn't add up to me. I kind of feel like she's trying to play both sides of the, the audience, if you want my honest opinion. Now, we need an open and honest debate about this. Why do you think the authorities, the NHS, the health department are so averse to having even a debate about this? And it may be there's Obviously. nothing wrong with the jabs at all. It'd be unusual because... Virtually every jab has some. I can't say I know exactly why they don't want to debate, but let's be honest about why people don't debate, right? It's either because they don't think they can put up a good argument, which there's plenty of ways to read into that, or it's because they don't, they know they will lose because they can't argue against the truth because the data is clear. So all they can do is come out and just, is just call conspiracy theorists, gaslight, and pretend like they don't understand. It's all, that's the best they have. That's why they're not doing it. That's my opinion. But I mean, you tell me what else might be happening here. If it, if it really comes down to conspiracy theorists misrepresenting data, how easy it would be for them to do in a massive public display and say, here's the truth and here's why they're wrong. End of story. But let's wonder why they're not doing that. Side effects and, ha- and I mean, the jabs which have saved millions of lives um, for everything else can still have adverse effects. See my point right there. Have they saved millions of lives? Or is that just one of those caveats you're supposed to include so you don't get censored when you talk about this stuff? Right? We all know there's plenty of people out there. Oh, my YouTube guy told me I'm allowed to talk about this. That's not okay with me. They're not saving lives. That's my opinion, of course. But are we really going to look at what we just looked at and pretend like these things are doing good for anybody, especially when we know something is less than the flu? This, it, this is just frustrating that these people, even as they poke into some important information, will still give that caveat. And then you walk away, people going, well, it's okay for some. No, these are wildly dangerous. Wildly dangerous. And that's the problem right now. That's why they're you know, kind of acting like it's not the full picture when these people are coming up now as experts who are moments ago on the other side and saying all across the board, take them off the table for some people and when you give a jab to so many people you're more likely to see adverse effects and other countries have highlighted this and investigated why do you think our country isn't looking into this so i think there's at least three reasons uh, the first is that uh, a lot of people in the government and the nhra they're just convinced that they're safe and aren't willing to look into the issue exactly another reason is that excess deaths where there's no obvious cause i've got no political 
uh, power. They can't use it to do anything. They can't do anything about it, they might think, um, especially if they don't think that it's caused by the vaccine. And if they're... Uh... Okay, there's a big point right there. That the ultimate argument that, well, what's the benefit politically for them? You see, because let's not let's not pretend like they care about your safety or your health or your country. They care about their own career and their own benefit and maybe some agenda they're tapped into. So when they look at this problem, they like he said, they see a, a gigantic problem of excess debt that they can't explain. Course, there's no way they can use it politically to benefit themselves at this point. And there's no only downside. So they just go, well, just look the other way. You want to see a perfect example of that? Let's talk Vietnam. Let's talk Afghanistan, where they just go, oh, we're still going to do this or that, and we'll just kick the can down the road. And you find out 20 years later, they knew after two years that it was going to fail. They were never going to win. And they just kept killing Americans because they didn't want to deal with it. Let's give it to the next administration. That's the Vietnam story, right? Same thing with Afghanistan to a degree. The point is that ultimately, they just didn't want to be the one to take the hit. Is that what we're staring at right now? Is it going to kick down to the next administration where you go, now you have to accept the problem? Meanwhile, everybody's dying. Are we really going to pretend that that wouldn't happen? How do you look at Vietnam and act like that's not possible? They were murdering people on all sides, not just in one area. Just so they wouldn't have to take the consequences of what they did to you. Couldn't be a better example. Um, and the and the other reason is that they want to the, the people in power and the people of regulation. They're obviously they're they're, they're up they're, they're up to their necks in it in the in the sense that um, that they've approved and rolled out these vaccines. So they definitely uh, want to do everything that they can to avoid uh, many of them looking into uh, right. these problems. But the thing is, Julia, we know that these vaccines are associated with heart problems and blood clotting, um, not necessarily. Uh, in a, in a lot of cases, but we but we know that they are. That's clear. Um, that's yeah. been admitted and acknowledged in many many studies and by the government and manufacturers themselves. And we also know. Well, again, one of the most recent was one in thirty five hundred, one in six thousand. Let's not pretend like that's not a lot of cases. That is a gigantic amount of cases. He was simply just going not necessarily, you know, in his, in this he knows what platform he's on. The reality is, in his article we just read, it's very obvious, very clear. Open studies that the spike protein and the mRNA that it goes throughout the body. It doesn't stay at the injection site. Right. We know from studies um, that, uh, that and the data that, um, that's been looked at that the, um, that the spike protein, the mRNA, will persist in the body for, many, uh, for, for up to many months um, in some or many cases. Um, and we know, and this is important, we know that this can kill people, not necessarily very often. Um, the MRHR says that this is rare. Um, and so that's and that's the question. But we know there's all toxins have been done. They've tested right. the spike protein. They've tested uh, that they've found that the, that the person has been killed by the by the heart being inflamed. And they've tested. Uh, they found the spike protein and they've done a test and they found that spike protein from the vaccine because it doesn't have the rest of the virus, not from the. Uh, not the, and, the and again, anyone who's unhappy about this, and we'll call it, you know, COVID, COVID denialism and anti and anti-vax. And no, but this needs to be investigated. We would investigate anything else that was causing this, or potentially causing this level of excess deaths in right. in off in otherwise healthy, often you know, middle-aged or younger people. That's right. So these autopsies are done. They're published in peer-reviewed journals and top peer-reviewed journals. So this is not this is not conspiracy theory. The right. fact that this can happen and that the and that the vaccines can kill people yeah i mean it's all the same stuff we just went over i i just wanted you to hear this it's it's so obvious that this is a valid argument it's just as plain as day if it was if they can admit it can happen then it would be involved in the conversation even if it's one percent but you can't even argue that it's possible without being called crazy 
And that really speaks to the whole big thing, the whole, the whole picture. Ben Swan points out, it just speaks volumes that experts have barely, barely in 2022, begun to calculate the risk of heart damage to athletes and young men as a result of these vaccines. Despite hundreds of reports, far more than that, of teens and young adults spontaneously collapsing due to unexpected heart complications. Like just what his point is, this has been happening since 2021, and they're only just now barely beginning to even point at it. Think about how disgusting that is. And he just points out some of the examples. I mean, it is everywhere, guys. You, you don't even see these in the video. There's, I think this one you did. There's an endless amount of these. And I, I, I referenced Jay Wilderness as I have before, or good sciencing and the information we continue to point out. It's always been very clear. Now, I played this one at the beginning. This is Dr. Bhakti continuing to point out the spike proteins and the capillaries of the brain and what it's doing and all, how these are causing these problems. And how this is, I think what he said at the end, um, let's see, just based on time, I want to, I'm going to, we already played it in the beginning, but I want to play the end here. Uh, there's no virus because... This is a case where there's no flu, there's no virus, because there's no nucleocapsid. This is a so yeah, I'll just do this real quick. I'll play this end part. This is important. Uh, necrotizing encephalitis. Description of multifocal necrotizing encephalitis. One of the most rare pathological uh, presentations in, I think, the only 10 cases known. Uh, all uh, in the wake of the flu pandemic. Ten cases. This is a case where there's no flu, there's no virus, because there's no nucleocapsid. This is another section where uh, the pathologist showed that it cannot be the virus. Right. So the point is that in these examples, it doesn't have to mean this does not exist if you don't want to play that game. But what he's saying is that these are examples of people that are very clearly being killed by the injection. That's what's happening. And there's no example of there ever even being a virus present that caused this in this example. But he's been screaming about this from the very beginning, backed up by evidence. It's just a matter of whether you choose to listen. As Toby Young points out, and this is the guy I was referencing from the, the uh, editor-in-chief of The Daily Skeptic. After 32 months, all that we just discussed, in case you wanted one more point to really make this clear, after 32 months, Sweden, the country that famously rejected lockdowns and school closures in the spring of 2020, has the lowest cumulative excess mortality in the world in a damning indictment of lockdown orthodoxy, as well as everything else. As far as I know, they weren't forcing injections as much as everywhere else. I mean, there was a little coercion, but even mass, like none of this stuff was really forced on their population. It was more of a choice than anywhere else in the world. What more do you need to see? Correlation is not causation, but when you have every single thing lined up in one direction, it's kind of hard to miss. The point is, all they could do was scream about how dangerous it was going to be. And what they first said was, well, Sweden's going to, it's going to get worse, and then they're going to see that it was never the right choice. That didn't happen. They just got quiet and stopped talking about it. Sweden has continued to prove that this was the right choice over and over and over and everybody else that didn't. I mean, it's, it's impossible to miss. If what they said was true... This is not what would have. This is not what would have happened. It would have gotten worse. Now, just to finish off with the transition of where this all goes, it's not just about the biosecurity state. It's about a transition into the larger bio defense, biosecurity control structure of technocracy, transhumanism, the Great Reset. It's where all this goes. It's not hard to see the clumsy overlap. They're trying to just push this in health. The, cli the, the climate crisis is a health crisis, says Tedros. 
Why? Well, because I guess the climate can lead to things that can increase your sickness. Okay, well, then you could say the climate crisis is every crisis. Why focus on the health crisis? Well, because that's what they want you thinking about. Because you could, they make arguments about everything. Climate crisis is about food. It's about infrastructure. It's about, it's about everything under the sun. Kids can't learn correctly when it's too hot. I mean, I'm, I'm being facetious, but my God, they've done everything anywhere. Make sure you get your injection during the, during, during the tornado. You know, it's just people are ridiculous. This is about saying this is the same thing. So when we start doing lockdowns for climate, oh, it's because health, it's health crisis. As Gareth I points out, I prefer to you as Alex from Guess Who. That's funny. Shot back to my, my childhood. But it's all going in this direction. As the UN chief warns, not just we need to do this for our own safety, but we'll be doomed. We're all going to be doomed without historic climate packs. We'll be doomed. Talk about doomsayers, right? These are people that are literally going, you're all going to die if we don't do what we're about. This is, this is what they frame us as. I mean, look at, it's so interesting how it's been inverted to where what they claim we've always been, they've become over the last year. It's ridiculous. Even though we can show that it's not what we've ever been, at least in our case and plenty of others. But they're just simply going, we need this climate pact, which ultimately means a global agreement about how we will force this in on everybody. We're already watching how this is happening. They're doing this whether or not we agree. The point is they're scaring you into committing. Just like with COVID-19. You're all going to die if we don't do what we need to do. This is an interesting one. Pornish Tweets points out. Well, this is awkward. The question is, what does net zero actually mean? You might not like the answer. Let's take a listen. Would the minister please explain in, to the Australian people and I... What net zero emissions actually means in layman's terms. Thank you. Now, before she answers, obviously, based on the very per- surface level, maybe not to everybody, obviously, but what they, it's obvious what the term means. That's not what she's asking. And we all know that. A third grader knows that's not the net zero meaning carbon emissions and being zero. It's as simple as that, right? In the concept of what they're, they're trying to meet their metrics. That's not what she's asking. What she's asking is, what does it actually mean? What are you doing? What does it translate to in the real world? And how are we meeting that? That's what she's asking. Because the point is, they don't know. They're towing a line like everybody else in these positions, which is usually why I argue that most of them aren't the people really actually making things happen. I, I don't know for sure everybody everywhere, but I, that's what I perceive it as. I find it pretty obvious when the U.S. politics, when you watch people like Nancy Pelosi speak, and she can barely get her words out, or Joe Biden can't even, you know, or anybody, Lindsey Graham from the other side, or anybody from any side of these places where you go, they're really the ones in charge? I doubt it, when they can barely say things correctly. The point is that she tries to stand up and just gaslight. Well, that's zero. What do you mean? It's obvious. Well, how about you explain then? Senator Hanson, Minister. Uh, I'm not sure how to explain it other than to say it means net zero. <laughs> right. And just, I'm sorry to stop again. Somebody made a good point there at the, at the bottom. Net zero, a highly manipulated metric. Right? That's the whole point. Is that even idea of what zero carbon emissions really means in the world, because let's understand, no carbon in the atmosphere means we all die. There's no disputing that. Plants can't grow. You can't. We won't exist anymore. So I sure hope they don't mean zero anywhere, which is what Carrie uh, or uh, John Kerry stupidly said the other day. I don't think maybe he meant it. Maybe he didn't. By the way, though, that's kind of the point, though, right? We understand what they're saying when they say net zero. 
The words have meaning. But what do you mean by that in the translation to what it means for the average person, to what you're actually trying to reach? That's the point, right? And this, she just smugly acts like you're too dumb to understand. To explain it other than to say it means net zero. There's this. I mean, um, you know, I think, and, and, and I understand oh, yeah. that the senator. Wow. It's one of those situations. I, 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 I will, I'll think through if I can uh, provide a, 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 an explanation. to Just her smug demeanor, right? Like, first of all, you are wasting time because you don't know how to explain what she's asking. That's what I think, personally. Because if, you, if somebody who understands these things, it would have been very easy to break down what that actually means and not just smugly act like, we know what definitions of words mean, don't we, everybody? <laughs> she's stupid. Like, that's a sidestep. And it's embarrassing, I agree. Makes it clearer than that, but to me, the words net zero are quite clear. That's not what she's asking. Uh, I think we all Order. understand what net emissions Order. means. Um, uh, I am reminded of a, a time when I was climate minister and I think Senator Fielding uh, wanted uh, an explanation and I, I got in the chief scientist uh, to try and take him through it. And we did get to a point where I thought, I don't actually know, uh, and neither did she at that time, how... Still haven't answered yet. ...how to break it down any further, but I, I will have a think about that. Uh, I think it's a commonly understood objective, and it's an objective, that, as the senator knows, that is shared by those opposite, I thought. Oh, so now you're just attacking them. I thought you were on this. I thought we all agreed that the net zero was... Okay, so we just skip past the... This is KJP territory, right? We just skip past the question entirely now and go, I thought we were all on the same side. We all want to save the planet? Net emissions, net zero emissions, net zero. The point is there's more behind what that means, right? So what happens when we get there, hypothetically? Do you, I mean, what that means there are lots of things that are no longer supposed to be happening. Are, I mean, look, we're watching that happen with the farming right now. People are starving to death. People don't have electricity because they say that's the right thing to do. That's what we're getting at here. That's what she wants to know. What do you mean when you say that? Explain to the average person what that truly means and stop giving them flowery language about things that they don't understand. But here, that, this is, I think, the most embarrassing example of how somebody acts like they're smug when they don't know how to answer a question, personally. Maybe not. Uh, well, obviously not Senator Canavan, I know that. No but the coalition, I thought broadly, had, had agreed to net zero. Emissions by 2050. Uh, yeah, and that was your policy. Oh, well, may, maybe Senator Canavan is indicating a change in policy under the yeah. coalition, uh, under Mr. Dutton. Uh, and uh, and uh, obviously, uh, I think it's 84%. I could be wrong. Oh, yeah. Australia's exporters have also, sorry, export markets have already signed up to the same target it was discussed at the G20. So there's broad global agreement about the need um, to. to Minister, I got I love this. All right, let's talk about that comment, right? Some I sound like a fool apparently in this chat. Sometimes I sound like a fool apparently because net zero means overall no additional things. Right. Did you just tune in? Did you miss where I just said that? Somebody's not paying attention, right? Cuz we all aware of what the words mean. Let's go through this again, right? It's exciting because we can understand that words have definitions. That's not the point for the person not paying attention. The point is what it translates to in the world for the average person. Sorry, I have to explain it again because somebody was behind. The point is, guys, that what she just said, the best it got was 84% of what exactly? Now, I get, I understand what they want you to hear, what they want you to think they mean. We have to realize that it's not as simple as just cutting out 84%, right? These things have meaning in the way our lives go forward. That's what she's getting at. 
Right. Sorry, I have to do that again because people don't want to hear what you're saying. Sometimes the problem is that she smugly gets up just like the person in the chat just did and just kind of gaslights and says, oh, you're stupid because you don't understand. Thank you for making my point for me, bud. It's obvious that this is something that they want to make sound simple. Right. But it's a game they're playing because realistically, if we want to get into it further, it's not actually what we should be trying to achieve because it doesn't mean what they say it does. The science behind this has been roundly shown by experts in these fields, not some polit pol uh, po uh, politician in the position of a climate minister. Right. I've played plenty of clips from you from wildly high level experts that are saying that this is dangerous. What they're doing is actually dangerous. But look, I'm not the expert. Right. The end of the day here is we have to realize that there's a sidestep happening when it comes to what they mean. Or how about we just take the example again of the farming and saying it's all Putin's fault when they're actively taking action to do so, right? I mean, it's just, it's frustrating. Now, finally, or actually finally, but last couple parts here, I want to get into, oh, and here's more examples of this stuff. Here's Peter Clark saying, Earth has been warmer than today for 65% of the last 11,000 years. This scientific fact alone destroys the basis for the U.N.'s long-running fear campaign on global warming or global climate change, whatever they want to call it. Cycles of warm and cold are not related to carbon dioxide levels. This hoax only exists in virtual reality. Now, the real point I take from that is that if we're talking about 65% of the last 11,000 years being hotter than the time they're saying is basically unprecedented, well, that doesn't make sense, does it? Or at the very least, the world would have had the same problems back then, which would have essentially caused... I mean, you could go into this as deep as you want, but we've made this argument about the ebbs and flows throughout history, the same kind of graphs from different perspectives, about how this isn't exactly what they say it is. There's more to the story, and all they do is pick out a small section and act like we're in unprecedented you know, climate change and weather and everything else. Now, we can get into a whole other topic as well about how these things are influenced, but either way, I think what's interesting here is that they don't even want to get into this kind of conversation. Like They don't want to have somebody like this have an actual debate, sort of like we talked about before. They don't want to debate it because I argue there's not really any way to make the argument without looking stupid. Bjorn points out that polar bears used to be the poster child of climate change, but their numbers have been increasing from five to 10,000 polar bears in the 1960s to up to around 26,000 today. We don't hear this on the news, though. Instead, campaigners just quietly stop using them in their activism. Womp, womp, right? That's how it just continues to go. But to finish off with the transition, energy, climate change, digital ID into the Great Reset, Disclose TV points out, and this is how the point is they're driving you in this direction. And then actively removing your resources while pushing you in this direction, which makes it much easier for them to drive somebody desperate into something they argue is a solution, right? Francis Glass manufacturer Duralex suspends operation for five months due to surging electricity bills. Suspends their manufacturing, right? Our bill has gone from three to 13 million euros a year. Oh my God. Think about that. Or 46% of our turnover. I mean, this is guaranteed to put these businesses out of business. It's just, it's, it, I think that's obviously one of the largest points. On, on the amnesty discussion, final thoughts on the absurd call for pandemic amnesty. This is what, uh, this is Scott's recent article on here about, or the same point that we've been trying to make, right? I'll just sum it up with this tweet. I hope you'll read the article. The point is that they're really trying to divide us. That's what I get from this. The amnesty article was meant to divide you on party lines and it worked to a large degree. Because remember, the COVID vaccine discussion was nothing remotely partisan. Trump is still promoting the vaccine, for crying out loud. It was pretty much intermittent. There was lots of Democrats I knew that were afraid of the injection that never have, as far as I can tell. And you may not think that's in your perspective and around you, but we all have different communities and so on. But as far as I can tell, both online and in the world around me, 
that it was pretty much nonpartisan. People were scared on all sides. People were taking it on all sides. It was everywhere. But this drove it back into being partisan really in a very strong way. And I think that was the point. As I said in this tweet, somebody, somebody's asking, you know, I guess this could be fake. I mean, who knows? It doesn't look fake, but somebody said it could have been either way. The point is, this is a conversation being had. As I said, basically asking, should we accept an apology? And I just said, yes, obviously, guys, obviously. But understand that accepting an apology is not the same thing as forgiving or forgetting. As I said before, and I may, you may disagree with this because I do agree that, you know, forgiving people in general, whether in this case or anything else, is healthy and it is beneficial to you. Negative energy is bad. But I'll admit, I have a hard time with that. If, you know, if, if I have somebody, I, I mean, I could think of an example right now in my head of somebody who was wildly smug, dismissive, and acted like you were the stupidest person on the planet for pointing out things that we now know are for sure happening. I can't, I just can't get past it. I can't forgive that person because the way they treated me. However, if they came to me and apologized, I would accept their apology just because that, I, that's me personally. But I probably would never forgive them for it. I probably would never forget it. But the point is that, that accepting an apology is something very different. Now, the real point for me, guys, this should not be a public discussion. This should not be a big debate that we're having. That's the point. They want us to argue about this. This should be a personal choice for every individual relationship you have between you and them. That's it. Over. Move forward. Because it's not the same thing for everybody. You can't act like everybody is on one side or the other. That's how they divide you. And as I said, are we really pretending that maintaining of our own accord, the very division this was meant to create is the right way forward. Some people don't deserve your forgiveness or for you to forget or to accept their apology. But by and large, a lot of people were just fooled. And yeah, I agree. They're damn well should have seen it by now. But it's ever, it, you can't, the judgment is the last thing we should be diving into, except for the people that deserve accountability, the government. But again, that, this is my, these are my opinions. You should decide for yourself. Don't listen to what I'm saying, what they're saying. Choose for yourself and keep it a private thing. That's the point because they want you to divide. Now, I'm not talking about the government or the media. I'm talking about your neighbor. I'm talking about the other person on Twitter that's still scared and doesn't understand what's happening. Let's just be better than them, guys. Be better than them. That's, that, I, the partisanship is what's driving this vitriolic divide right now. Now, here's what I'm point why I brought that up again. The idea of how they're going to divide you going forward every possible way they can. Bernie's tweets points out in the UK, if you still can't see what your media is doing, I can't help you. She, they say, quote, should you save a dying stranger if you know they eat meat? Yeah, that's not a joke. That's real. So just like with COVID-19, you know, should we save an unvaccinated person? Should we treat them? If yeah, you should because they're human beings. It's disgusting they even put this forward. The idea is that should you save a dying stranger if they eat meat, is about climate change. Acting like because you eat meat, you're somehow hurting people. So here we go again. This is wildly overstepping. But it's all about divide. That's all it's about. They want you to divide on everything that they put in front of you. Sustainability, meat, climate change, everything they want to talk about, they want you to argue and divide about instead of realizing they're the ones doing it to you. Here's even Israel's previous prime minister. Replace energy and replace meat. He says the biggest, the biggest cause of carbon in the atmosphere, which, by the way, is not something we should be afraid of. But the point is that he's saying you eating meat is the biggest reason we have climate change. <laughs> that's actually their argument. Other areas are energy related. And I'm, and I'm not saying that's what I believe is happening. That's what they're saying, just to be clear. Uh, alternative food, uh, especially alternative meat, which uh, uh, which uh, is made by Bill Gates companies and, and all own all the farmland that previously used that. 
you know, but don't, but don't, don't mind the man behind the curtain, which is, I love that statement in this context. We all know that the, the, the meat industry is a, is a big cause of, um, of, um, uh, carbon, uh, in, in the atmosphere. And, and so we're focused on that. And here's my call. My call is actually internally to roughly 5,000 Israelis that were high-tech entrepreneurs. They already did their exit. They're, they're already millionaires. They're, they're good to go. I'm calling upon these young men and women. Now that you're set personally, why don't you take your uh, innovation and uh, energy and go found new companies in the fields of uh, uh, climate mitigation and climate mm-hmm. adaptation. Yikes. Working with the World Economic Forum, of course. You know, And again, the same point, as I said before, I did not argue that carbon being removed from the atmosphere entirely was the same as net zero. Right? Somebody just doesn't want to listen. And this is the problem is that people who are trying to distract people in our conversation don't understand or choose to be ignorant about what we're saying. It's a problem. It's a huge problem today. But that's the, that's the reality of how this goes, right? People are trying to derail these conversations and try to drive you in a direction that is false. Here is an interesting conversation exactly on that point, right? So if they can divide you based on something that really shouldn't be like, right now we got the bugs conversation. We've got all these different conversations, which you right, you have every right to have your own opinions. I, I can clearly see how the whole bug thing is being pushed in your face, but is that really our primary concern? Right. You, you can have your own decisions about what's concerning, right? I, I dr- typically draw the line when, they spe- when it's something that begins to be coercively pushed on people or forced, right? But I can see it's concerning. I see where this seems to be going. But this kind of stuff, I'm wondering whether it's more about sidestep, about keeping us divided and arguing about stuff. Here's a good example. The World Economic Forum, UN, and COP27, according to Bernie's tweets, will all nudge the narrative that farming is the enemy of the planet, which we just saw, right? No farmers means no natural food, which will force dependence on global corporations who will manufacture food for you at much greater profit for them. Wake up. 100% agree. Every single word. Absolutely. The only thing I want to point out is this meme that was going along with it. Just kind of a supplementary point. What she said, hands down, is absolutely correct. 100% agree. But here's what's interesting. The meme shows a plant-based on one side and animal-based on the other, right? Plant-based says ingredients. Water, pea protein, expeller-pressed canola oil, which, by the way, is like the only thing I have an issue with in all of this. In all of it. Canola oil is bad for you. That aside, though, refined coconut oil, rice protein, natural flavors, cocoa butter, mung bean protein. I mean, all of this stuff is, even the weird ones like the methyl cellulose and some of these, all of this is predominant, I mean, almost entirely natural. What's interesting to me is that that's compared as the bad thing just because it's not meat. Now, here's the thing, though. Why are we concerned about natural plant-based things as opposed to the lab-grown meat? That's what I see as the issue. I see them using this as a stand-in to get us attacking things that, in fact, are not problematic at all. In fact, are actually good for you in some ways. Because realize the meat that we're eating in a lot of places today, not the Dutch farmers, but if you're like in the United States, is riddled with hormones and horrible things for you. I'm just trying to point out that there's more nuance to this conversation. My issue is that they're using the argument of bugs and all this stuff and taking farmland and growing, growing lab-based meat. And that will be what they use. And that's what her point ultimately is. We'll manufacture food for you and so on. But this kind of food, I, I mean, this to me is like the, the straw argument, right? like the actual paper straw argument that happened in California. Now, I don't know if it's changed since then, but when it first started, the whole point was you could there were straws if you wanted them. 
They didn't stop using straws. And I don't know why anybody would have a problem with that because right now we are overwhelmed with plastic waste around this world and masks and gloves only added to that. They didn't stop you from using them. They just didn't automatically give them. But because they wanted to make a political issue about it, people on the right were screaming, they're taking your straws away. And so where it all begins. And it's like, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe that's where it went from there. But when it happened, it's one of those things that's like attacking the word sustainability because they use that word. They're tricking people with stuff like this. And I truly believe that. I think the idea of having a well-sourced, natural, plant-based burger, if somebody should want that, is absolutely okay. At the end of the day. Well, yeah, right. Same point, though. I think that the there are some things. The point is that this is meant to be a natural thing as opposed to a lab-grown meat thing. And I think that's the big issue. And by the way, animal-based ingredients, deer, it's not actually entirely accurate, especially since the way these things are made usually go through all sorts of processing in the same right that end up in the grocery store, unless you're going to make it yourself in your house, right? So there's a little bit of an incorrect conversation right there, right? Yeah, I, I know I'm talking, the, mel- the methyl cellulose is not the same as some of the things we're talking about, but ultimately is not the, I'm talking about the mRNA lab-grown meat. That's the stuff we should be concerned about. But you be concerned about whatever you want to be concerned about. The end of the day is, I think this is sort of a false argument that's pitting us against things that are, in fact, not that bad for you. In fact, in some ways, are better for you if you remove the canola oil and do different things. That you, There's plenty of very, very well-done natural things out there that are completely natural that just aren't meat. That shouldn't be. But yet people are starting to act like that's part of the problem because the idea of like taking your meat away. It's a left-right paradigm thing, guys. So right, read what she said and understand that. The thing here is what I find interesting. And it goes forward to say, that's not natural about the plant-based burger thing. Looking at the ingredients, it all seems like natural stuff. And he says, natural as found in the nature and not involving anything made or done by people. That's the definition of natural. So therefore the burger itself is not natural because it's ground, processed, and made, right? But he says, uh... anyway, the the simple point was, guys, that I think there's a a game being played here where we argue about two things that are on the same side, essentially. While what they don't talk about in the context of the left-right discussion is the lab-grown meat or those kind of things and how that's used against you. That's what I think. Just something to realize. The whole point over all of it was that they're dividing us. That ultimately this is being used to divide people. And just one last point that I just find interesting. That I'm not really, I really don't mean this is some sort of a political point or that meat good, bad, or whatever else. I just found this to be interesting, a, a different perspective. As P, PD, man, uh, this person, Health and Freedom Maximalist, points out, if 2.4 million years of human evolution were compressed into a 24-hour clock, we've only been eating meat for 24 hours, we've been eating wheat for six minutes, we've been eating ultra-processed foods for four seconds. So it really does show you if the entire evolution of humanity over 2.4 million years it's a little more abstract than that because, you know, there's different evolutions of human species along that process. But the idea is if it's only 24 hours that we're screaming that we're defending the idea that meat is like a right or so on. It doesn't really resonate with the truth. Right. So there's just more. There's a game being played against us. I think we, I just ask for objectivity, as always. I think it's important. Now, last points on CD, CBDC and the technocratic future. I think I already pointed this before, but realize that this already happening for these banks. One bank in Germany has already announced that it will no longer issue cash or accept cash as of December this year. That's real. And as I said, I have no doubt more will follow suit. Here's the actual breakdown of this. Erste Bank no longer issues cash. Like this is really happening and they're switching over to CBDCs and digital stuff and it's already beginning. And all this is in the same vein. They maybe argue because COVID-19 or because of the carbon footprint or it doesn't really matter. It's all driving you in a digital ID footprint direction. Same, so too is Twitter, by the way. All of it is a fast pipeline to the same direction. 
here is uh, a report about how these other banks are all piloting the CBDC platforms. BIS and four central banks have already completed successful pilot of real value transactions on their cross-border CBDC platform. Now, whether or not you want this, it's already being rolled in. The pilot advances multi-CBDC experimentation by settling real value directly on the platform. Remember, these are all the people that screamed at you that cr- cryptocurrency was a was a, fee, a fake story or, you know, a, 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 a fad or a, a, what was the term that you put? Why can't I think of that word? A Ponzi scheme, right? They were just lo- constantly screaming about that. And meanwhile, while they were yelling that, they were scooping up all the resources, just like with Bill Gates and farmland and everything else. This is how that works. Right. So as they try to convince you, don't do this, sell that. It's bad for you. They're going to steal your money. They were doing the same thing from behind. And now they've scooped up a lot of the market, I argue. And I think that probably where this is going to go, there's a big difference between CBDCs and cryptocurrency. Blockchain technology specifically. And that, but at the end of the day, I do think there will be overlaps and I think it's going to be used against us. It doesn't mean there are not some value to these things in their own way. But bottom line is it's time for us to push back against this right this moment. Here is Nick pointing out that last year, Nigeria launched its much Bollywood e Naria, Africa's first central bank digital currency. The jury is in now. The e Naria has been a massive failure. Here's what really comes next. Hint, he goes, it's not what the elites hope for, the elitists hope for. Central bankers, academics, polit- politicians, and an assortment of elites from the over 100 countries hoping to launch their own CBDCs have closely followed the e Naria. They use Nigeria, Africa's largest country by population and size of its economy, as a petri dish to test their nefarious plans to use CBDCs to enslave people of North America, Europe, and beyond. It's Nick's opinion, but I happen to agree. According to Bloomberg, only one in 200 Nigerians even use Inaria. That's even after the government implemented discounts and other incentives as desperate measures to increase adoption. This came as a surprise to the elitists. Why? Well, because Nigeria just so happens to have one of the highest Bitcoin adoption rates in the world. That's interesting, right? Ranking number 11 among all countries on the planet. They figured Nigerians wouldn't be able to differentiate between Bitcoin and the Inaria. They're both digital currencies after all. Not only, as usual, under underestimating your intelligence, but, re, but trying to act like, I mean, I think it actually speaks to the fact that they don't maybe fully understand the difference. They're just hoping that, well, just here's another one. Well, these people aren't stupid. And they go, well, we don't want your garbage CBDC. We want Bitcoin. We want whatever we want. So this is failing in their face right now. And I think it's going to happen a lot of other ways too in these different countries that are rolling these out right now. Or maybe it changed because of this. He's he's writing this on November 2nd. But it says the Bloomberg article admitted Nigerians' passion for cryptocurrencies doesn't extend to the central bank offering. Nigerians' passion for cryptocurrencies doesn't extend to what the banks want them to use. It also said Nigerians view the Inaria as a symbol of distrust in the ruling elite. That's their quote. And that the people view the government as hostile to them and therefore have no interest in anything it introduces. <laughs> you guys shot yourselves in the foot here. Right? You can't destroy people's lives and then act like you can save them by doing more of the same. To all the Nigerians rejecting the Inaria, I say bravo. The failure of CBDCs in Nigeria could throw sand in the gears of the elitist plan to implement them worldwide. That would be a big positive for human freedom. The flop of CBDCs in Nigeria is an encouraging development. It also reveals an outcome that is, was probably the opposite of what the elites desired, increased Bitcoin adoption. More details in the article below. All right, so people ended up going the other direction. Very important. I think that's, I think that's a very obvious reality that's showing you that people do not trust what's happening. Now here is still what they're arguing is your future. 
They're still going for this direction. And CBDCs and digital IDs are paramount to making this the reality. And this, by the way, is called conspiracy theory if you say this anywhere else. You all think we're going to move from this form factor to something that's on your face glasses and compute when computing's all in the edge. All right. 50 seconds. Who wants to answer quickly? I think it will go. It, it will. First of all, it will definitely happen. I, I, I was talking about 6G earlier, which is around 20, 2030. I would say that by then, definitely the smartphone as we know it today will not anymore be, be the usual kind of the most common interface. Wow. Many of these things will be built directly into our, our, our bodies. Directly into our bodies. Just like Klaus Schwab said, which they, I guess, call conspiracy theorist. I'm not sure. Or a conspiracy theory. Well, here is Jack Posobiec pointing out what China's, you know, China's Skynatter is future. And just by the way, just, just to be, just, you know, for, so we're clear, right, that these are it's China, right? It's a vice on HBO clip. So take it with a gigantic grain of salt, that and Jack Posobiec posting it. Regardless of any of that, it is what is by and large happening in the authoritarian country of China, which, by the way, they're all salivating about. This is what they want to control you. This is what they're building. They claim is going to make your life better. Take a glimpse into how that will make your life better. Oh, wait. Ah, there it is. Collect about its 1.4 billion citizens. Everyone over the age of 16 is required to have an official state-issued ID card that the government now wants to use to centralize all that information. And China is investing heavily in tech companies to help transform that government data into a virtually omniscient surveillance network. One of those companies is Megvi. It recently received a capital investment of nearly half a billion dollars, part of which is from a state-run VC fund. But the name chosen for its premier piece of technology is a bit of a tell. Skynet. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> the I mean, it's just so stupid. I mean, really? You know, like, really? What, I mean, why would... I, mean, there, I, I just don't even know why there's nothing but negative connotation there for most people. So from a business perspective, to choose that name just seems ridiculous. It seems like a counterintuitive business movement move. But so it's happening anyway, though. So is there a reason for it? Is that what they re actually want you to think about? When I mean, it, it's just crazy to me that that would be a choice. There is the, the favorite film of our founder. So they, they use the same name, but they want to put something good into this system. Of course. So, okay, in the Terminator, Skynet is evil, rains down death from yeah. the sky. But in China, Skynet is good. Yeah, not a difference. <laughs> so how do you think your facial recognition technology will change China? Everything happened in the, uh, in the public can be record. Great. So they record everything you do all the time. But it's for good stuff, though. It's all for freedom and, and positive things, because he said so. We can know exactly what happened in every second, in every corner of the city. Wow. This is uh, a video stream in a subway station by a smart camera. So we can capture every... And by the way, this is not even new. I, I think this is from a, a year or more ago. But the, the point is that this is already what's happening. This is what they want to create here. And probably already happening here.
Reface in real time. Still, like some criminal person is out there. There is a the red box, so there is a warning to the police station that there is a criminal person. So I need to locate them. So when it looks out onto a crowd, it's tracking all these faces and it's cross-checking those faces against what? Criminal database. And how many fugitives have been apprehended through this system? Over three thousand cases in, in nationwide. Yeah, just one one year. In one year. Yeah, one year. Wow. So what you're working on? I guess we'll just assume they were all guilty for sure. On now already seems like sci-fi. What do you think the future will look like in like five years? Have you seen a film just like Black Mirror? You just、oh、stand、God. there and your face there is a point. So maybe that is the future. But how is that even remotely positive? Black Mirror is a like thriller, horror, sci-fi movie or, or series, and that this is positive because you say so. Like you're talking about social credit scores in real time. That is authoritarian monster. Ter- like that that is terrifying. That is a horror story. Is what it is. But it's okay though because they said it was good stuff. That's like a horror show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I think that is the, maybe the kind of the future. Every people have their social points. I think if you like spit gum on the sidewalk. Wow. Well, last point. This is real, by the way, for the podcast. This is November ninth. This today. This is actually a real. I went through this. I was like, "Am I missing something? Is this a parody, or is this like? Is there a part at the end where they explain where it's not actually what's happened? No. This is a real thing. I went through multiple articles on this. This is from Technology. News.com AU from the from Australia VR headset that kills users if they die in the game. Legitimately, Polymer Lucky, a defense contractor who founded Onduril, who develops anti-drone technology for government entities, has created a VR headset with explosive charges attached to kill the player if they die in a video game. Why? Anime. It says some context. There exists an anime called Sword Art Online, in which players put on a fictional RV headset, or excuse me, VR headset called the Nerve Gear, to play a video game. It turns out that the VR headset is a trap created by an insane programmer who forces the players to ascend a hundred-floor tower to survive. If they die in the game, they die in real life. The headset emits a series of microwaves to fry the player's brain. Now, Palmer, who has helped to create the real-world VR tech Oculus VR, one of the hugest out there, is a, hu- a huge fan of Sword Art Online. And so, to celebrate the fictional day where the players get trapped in the anime, he decided to create a VR headset that kills a real person should they die in a game. This is really not a joke. The idea of tying your life to your virtual avatar has always fascinated me. You instantly raise the stakes to the maximum level and force people to fundamentally rethink how they interact with the virtual world and the players inside of it. Was it some desperate effort to make you think to perceive this is more real than it is? It's not in use, as far as they say. I'll make more comments about that in the end. Unlike using a complex set of microwaves and sensors, like in the anime, this was just simply different, no less lethal. Three explosive charges are implanted in the device. <laughs> Three explosive devices, according to Lucky. Lucky. The technology doesn't quite exist to hide lethal methods like the anime in such a small device. The, the antagonist in the, in the anime was able to hide from his employees, regulators, and contract manufacturing partners. I'm a pretty smart guy, but I couldn't come up with any way to make anything like this work. Even though he clearly tried to hide that, not without attaching the headset to gigantic pieces of equipment. He says he plans to continue tinkering with the execution device as well. I have plans for an anti-tamper mechanism that, like the Nerve Gear, will make it impossible to remove or destroy the headset. Even so, they are a huge. There are a huge variety of failures that could occur and kill the user at the wrong time. 
Like, what's one of the things that come to mind? Like, with Black Mirror in tow. What is this, a new way to, uh, I don't know, execute people for murder? We'll put them on trial in VR. We'll let them fight each other, and they'll really die, but then it won't matter because they were going to die anyway. Like, this is, this is every dystopian movie ever. Already starting. Even if it's a joke, which it doesn't really see, it doesn't even seem to be. What we'll see in a minute is it's more of a piece they're going to keep in the office, but it's real. And the idea being that this is something that, I don't know, what if it accidentally gets out, or that's the story, or somebody uses it, not supposed to. I mean, you can see a thousand ways that this story being set, when it doesn't even seem to make sense, why a business, per, uh, somebody whose business model is based on making sure these things are perceived as safe, and you make something that blows somebody's head up. Even if you claim it's not going to be put out in the world, you're still adding that to the conversation. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. All of this stuff, I question, is whether they just want you to think about this. It says, why does this exist? What purpose does it serve? Quote, at this point, it's just a piece of office art, a thought-provoking reminder of unexplored avenues in game design, Lucky stated. It also, as far as I know, is the first notification example, non-fiction example, of a VR device that can actually kill the user. It won't be the last. Well, that's pretty ominous. Welcome to your future. I mean, this, I mean, you, there's a thousand ways you could think about how this could be abused or put and used for people that are, you know, the subsections of society, you know, the anti-vaxxers or, you know, I'm going to be grasping, but the point is, this is pretty ridiculous. Can you imagine this kind of statement or discussion being had like pre-COVID or even before when the argument was video games were why everybody was violent? Imagine how quickly, how funny, how quickly that changed. Either way, guys. I don't know where this goes, but this is pretty damn concerning that this is on a fast train to mayhem and madness under the guise that it's all for your best interest. I don't even know anymore. Here's Noah, Yuval Noah Harari again speaking about the surveillance regimes, and we'll finish with this, about the point that this is how these will be used if they fall in the wrong hands. You know, the authoritarian bad guys, like North Korea, he mentions. And then goes on to literally discuss how if that were to happen, we would be entering a totalitarian nightmare. But don't worry, everybody, because the right ones are in control. Are they? I think that's a very important question for us to really define before we allow this to continue forward. Or then maybe realize that it's not even under our control right now. And that's because we're being apathetic over the years and allowed these people to take control from us. But we need to ask that question. Do we really trust that these people won't use this for their own benefit at your expense or sell you out to some higher power? Or at the end of the day, somebody at some point will fall into power who will abuse it. All these things are possible and history has shown you they're inevitable. So are these the right people? Or are they the ones that in fact will usher in the totalitarian nightmare? And maybe that's exactly the point. I love you all. Thank you for being here. Continuing to question. Question everything. Come to your own conclusions. As I say that, <laughs> I'm so frustrated that I always do that. I don't know why I didn't have it pulled up. I love you guys. Thank you for being here. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. But if this power falls into the hands of a 21st century Stalin, the result will be the worst totalitarian regime in human history. And we already have a number of applicants for the job of 21st century Stalin. Just imagine North Korea in 20 years when everybody has to wear a biometric bracelet which constantly monitors your blood pressure, your heart rate, your brain activity, 24 hours a day. 
you listen to a speech on the radio by the great leader, and they know what you actually feel. You can clap your hands and smile, but if you're angry, they know you'll be in the gulag tomorrow morning. And if we allow the emergence of such total surveillance regimes, don't think that the rich and powerful in places like Davos will be safe. Just ask Jeff Bezos. In Stalin's USSR, the state monitored members of the communist elite more than anyone else. The same will be true of future total surveillance regimes. The higher you are in the hierarchy, the more closely you will be watched. Do you want your CEO or your president to know what you really think about them? So it's in the interest of all humans, including the elites, to prevent the rise of such digital dictatorships. And in the meantime, if you get a suspicious WhatsApp message from some prince, don't open it.